Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello guys and welcome to the Stardom Cast, your weekly audio source of all things world-wondering stardom right here on the Podmania podcast. I am your host Rob Good and I am joined as ever by Chris O'Brien. Chris, how the fuck are you? I say a lot of stupid things on this podcast, Rob, on a fairly regular basis. Regular basis, yeah. yeah. But nothing has ever been quite as like controversial as me saying that I don't like rumbles. <laughs> <laughs> have you been called out on your uh, your wild claims during yeah, the last by podcast? One, by one fucking person who will remain nameless, Falcon. Um Oh, you don't like Rumble? Stop, stop booing me. Like, apparently, apparently the Shrek gif I used didn't get the message across. Fight me. They're bad. They're objectively not good matches. I don't know what you're talking about. I thought the All-Star Rumble was an absolute delight. No, you didn't. Don't fucking lie to me. Like, do you kiss your mother with that lying whore mouth? Jesus. Jesus Christ, Chris. <laughs> Jesus. Calm the fuck that. Who put 50p in you today? <laughs> Good grief. Good grief. Apart from, obviously, people hating you for your lack of rumble love. Uh, which, believe me, guys, we will be getting into um, over the next, what probably feels like about three hours. But apart from that, Chris, how have you been this week? I'm okay. Um, Brett Raz continues to die, and that makes me sad. But also makes sense, because it, it made its own grave. Uh, there's been some bloody good wrestling. My match of year, Fred, on Twitter is up to about 50 matches. Well, more than 50 matches. Which, I'll be honest, is quite impressive when you consider that I don't think I've seen 50 matches this year. <laughs> Never well, mind put together a thread of best matches which exceeds 50 matches. Yeah, and they all have pictures. It's a very, like, aesthetically pleasing thread to look through. You shouldn't read it, because I'm sure there's a ton of spelling and grammar errors, because I just put it up in the excitement right after watching a good match. Um, some I there's some high ratings I regret because in hindsight I don't like Okada versus Osprey as much as I said I did. Um, I'm not sure Naito versus Ibushi would make the list. Um, I I could have put more Ring of Honor stuff on there, but you know I'm enjoy- I I think it's a really good list, but people should bookmark. Are you saying shock of the day? Chris is not a fan of Okada. Is is that what you're saying? Here's the thing. It's not that I'm not a fan of Okada. It's that his current output has understandably not been very good because they've been made... Like, him, Naito, and Hiromu have been working basically held together by fucking duct tape and we don't give them time off. It has come back and, to bite them somewhat with the Hiromu, uh, the Hiromu and, injury. 
and and Naito is working her. We are, we know this. He's perpetually working her, and it's the thing of. I, I understand they probably went, no, don't give me time off. But that's because that's how fucking wrestlers' brains work. They should not get to decide whether or not they go out. This is why you have doctors at ringside. <laughs> it's actually ridiculous. It's like WWE level bullshit. That shit. That stuff. You've seen. And, you've seen wrestlers, right? They should not yeah. be entrusted with anything. They should not be entrusted with their own fucking health because, <laughs> but because at the end of the day, there are people who who fall over for a living. Right? That's what they are. They should not be entrusted with their own health. One of mine and Chris's favourite wrestlers is Kurt Angle, and we've just we've oh, just done we, a watch along of WrestleMania we nineteen. Cannot justify a Kurt Angle wrestling for as long as he did. <laughs> Jesus. And I was listening to his podcast. Um and it seems that every show they do, they've just done No Way Out two thousand and one, followed by No Way Out two thousand and six. <laughs> And he broke he breaks his neck in every fucking It just match. feels like every podcast he's broken his neck again and it's like Jesus Kurt, he's, just in, stop. In the tail end of his TNA run, he developed a tumor on his neck and he kept going. The he man is a machine. Just, he is and like on one hand it's admirable, but on the other hand, look at him now. Mm. Like and that's what Carter's going to be if they don't give him like a year and a half off. He need he needs time. If he's working like, with two, is it two discs in his back that are fucked? Like, the same things happen to so many people. Like Kenta Kabashi had to get emergency shoulder um, shoulder surgery on both shoulders. Unreal. Just it's ridiculous. Oh my god! Give the man time off. You'll be fine. We should have given him time off. To, we should have given him time off when we didn't have to fucking draw. We didn't have to draw. Why fucking did make him wrestle? Ridiculous stuff. Just ridiculous. Um, I'm sure we could do an entire podcast about just everything that is going on in New Japan at the moment. Fair, Sard- Sardom did the same, but does the same because wasn't May working hurt for most of last year? May was working here for a long and time, and she got so was it, two and, shows and so was off. A, and so was Arisa, and as soon as she got time off, she was told not to wrestle again. Oh, I miss Arisa, man. I really miss Arisa. <laughs> anyway, we are a Stardom podcast, so let's get into it, because this has been one of the most exciting weeks to be a Stardom fan, to follow the promotion, because the buzz that is currently around this promotion at the moment. And I've said this on Twitter, and I said it in the Discord as well. This promotion at the moment feels fucking massive. And that, of course, is on the back of an absolutely tremendous All-Star Dream Cinderella show at Budokan, which, of course, is the main focus of this podcast. And we are going to be delving really deeply into and looking at all the matches and giving our thoughts, our ratings, our predictions for what is next, as well as looking at some listener questions as well interspersed throughout. But before we get to that, there's just a couple of bits of news. And I'm sure I've missed little bits of news from around the stardom verse, but uh, I've been that excited to do this podcast and focus on Budokan that I probably have missed them. So I apologize for that. Um, But on the 6th of March, uh, so earlier this morning, there was an assemble show. Um, which, of course, is the sort of collective shows that Joshi Promotions run together. And uh, it turns out, according to Akira Hakuto on Twitter, that this very probably is going to be the last one. And this was brought to our attention on Discord. Um, Just to give you an indication, the stardom participation in this match was apparently the semi-main, 
and it was the stardom match between Starlight Kid and Mei Iwatani and Momo Watanabe and Azumi, which, you know, you look at that match and any stardom fan is going to go, fucking hell, that's going to be a tasty match, even with very little stakes. Um, other notable matches, the seedling match was Nene Takahashi and Honori Hana, who of course challenged Sai Rida earlier on this month, um, versus Arisa Nakajima and Riko Kaiju. Uh, and then the wave four way, which main evented. Um, Chris, if this does turn out to be the last assemble show, how do you feel about that? Have you watched any of the assemble shows? What are your thoughts on it? The assemble shows are things that are perpetually on my I'll get round to them list, and then more wrestling happens. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, the venue looked, they've been using looks really fucking cool. Like it's the show itself is like on a stage. I think that's kind of cool. But yeah, if, if it's the end of it, that's kind of sad because they're nice three shows. But like they were sent, like one of the main purpose of them to like help get Joshi promotions back on their feet after lockdown stops. Hmm. So that makes sense, I guess. It's a shame, like, because like it just means less shows for people to consume. But also, I don't know I. I I I struggled to put emotions on it because I never watched it, but I know a few people really like them, so it's a bit of a shame of their ending. It's a nice way, especially, to get into other Joshi promotions. If you are just mm-hmm. a person who consumes stardom like I do, I don't really dip into any other Joshi promotion unless stardom are featured. It's a nice way to, you know, get introduced to some of these other wrestlers. Um, the venue that you're talking about, Chris, and I'm really sorry if I butcher the pronunciation of this, it was only... Ueno on Sheep Park, the outdoor stage, and it was in front of 384 people. It looks um, like um, uh, a bit like the auditorium you have in like um, Princess Park in Edinburgh. It's quite cool. I've seen um, I've seen one of the images from it. I think it was um, a picture of Starlight and Momo, and uh, I saw a picture of like the, the the stands, the bleachers, if you will. And yeah, it did it did look quite cool. Um, I think Stardom should run places like that. I think it'd look really cool, especially once the uh, coronavirus has um, has sort of faded into obscurity, which hopefully is on the horizon. Um, That's one of my favorite things about Japanese wrestling is the different buildings. Like you can tell absolutely, where, yeah. Like you look at and like American wrestling. Is, and plenty of other places like it, uh, like that by design, because you're trying to create a uniform weekly show, so you sort of make everything look as similar as possible. Unless mm-hmm. you're in somewhere like Madison Square Garden or Phil Sale or something. But then, um, in Japanese wrestling, you have like Korokan Hall, you have um, Shinkiba, you have, and it's sort of the same in Leecher. We have a lot of different buildings. It just gives each show its own personality. Like, we spent most of the podcast, what, two, three weeks ago talking about um, KPS Hall and Kyoto, which is, to be fair, a sexy building. It is a very sexy building. It is a really, really and, sexy building. Yeah, but prob- maybe the sexiest building. Sexier than... Oh, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. I don't think there <laughs> are many sexy buildings. Like Sumo Hall looks nice in sort of a classy way, mm. but you know I'm not I'm not a classy person. Oh, you're not. You're not. You're a dirty <laughs> tramp, is what you are. Oh wow, wow, <laughs> wow, wow! I was I was only hinting at degeneracy there. You didn't have to like call me a tramp, Jesus. I would not be slut shamed on this podcast again. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Um, some news regarding the Hanakamura tribute show. Um, it's going to be called See You Again. 
Um, it is taking place on the 23rd of May 2021 from Corican. Um, and it is going to feature a match including Kagetsu, um, which is going to be really nice. Apparently, and this has been made very, very clear, this is a one-time thing. This is not a return to wrestling. This is a one-time thing for Kagetsu. She's returning for this show. Um, and then Kyoko and Vinita will announce more on their upcoming Battleman um, appearance. So... Chris, um, so far, obviously, we haven't got much of a card. Um, some people I've seen her have asked, well, where's the stardom um, participation? What are stardom going to do? What wrestlers are we going to have? Um, but someone on our Discord, and I think it's Niagara Driver, has actually mentioned that stardom might have already done something in terms of that show in giving them one of their Corican slots. And it would make sense. It's a weekend show, as um, they say, which is apparently quite difficult to come by. Um, so it is, it's certainly possible, certainly not confirmed, but it's certainly possible that Stardom have given a Corican date or one of their Corican dates for this show. And if that's the case, that's that's tremendous. I, if, if that's the case, that is good. But I still think if, if the talent's not doing anything anyway, I think letting a couple of them appear on the show wouldn't actually do any harm. I would be amazed, Chris, if there isn't stardom participation on this card, especially when you consider the there was a there was controversy. Let's try that again. There was controversy around how Bushi Road in particular dealt with this. And I feel like there is a lot that was left to be desired in how they dealt with it. So stardom participation on this card is quite literally the least they could do, I feel. Mm-hmm. But also it's Bushy Road, so like they sometimes don't even do the least they can do. We don't even give their wrestlers time off. So. That's true. Kidani did release an apology, but you know, essentially apologies are only words until they're followed up by action. So we'll mm-hmm. we will wait and see, and I'm sure obviously more news of that show will be announced in the coming weeks. Um what do you think about Kagetsu then coming out of retirement for this one show? I think that's a very touching move. And I'm excited to see Kagetsu. Of course, yeah, she's great. Um, I like that it gets more eyes on this tribute show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm, ha- I'm happy that they're making it a one-time thing instead of a yearly thing. Because mm. in some ways, social me- like especially social media, just needs to let Hannah rest. Like You sometimes see them, you sort of see Hannah brought up a lot at times when it's especially not appropriate to do so. Yeah. If you know, like, every time, like, someone... Sometimes I'll see someone just give a bit of criticism of a match and someone goes, has we not learned from Hannah? And it's like, she is not a... She is not a um, empty symbol you can bring up every time you don't like what someone said. No. I, I understand what you're saying with that. I think... <laughs> she was so special to so many people that the death of Hannah Kimura shook so many people, like a ridiculous amount of people. I mean, personally, I've never been affected by a wrestler's death as much as I was affected by Hannah Kimura's death because she was so young, it was so avoidable. Um, But you are right, you know, we need to be very careful where we use this. If, you know, if it can be used to do good, which it absolutely should do, especially in regards to social media, tremendous. However, we've got to tread that line between 
you know, using it for fucking everything and mm-hmm. using it where she can be used as a wonderful thing, used as not a lesson, but effectively a lesson in what can happen if, you know, we are cunts on social media, which some people are. The... Um, because the only it's the, the only ongoing um tribute show I can think of is Baba, but like Baba's sort of godlike. Mm. Like um, when he died, I think Meltzer compared him to Michael Jackson. Not in that way. Um, Odd comparison. <laughs> no, Does he t- also in... own a weird theme park? No, I think in more in ter- actually it wouldn't surprise. Like Baba seems fun loving. Um. And more in terms of like how big he was, how like inescapable he was in Japan. So like mm. it makes sense for something like that to be a yearly thing. But with um Hannah, I hope this show can just sort of let her rest at that point. Because like we couldn't really have a proper tribute show last year because of the circumstances. Mm. Um, so I think this is the perfect. I think this is the perfect way to do it. I just want to clarify that it's Kagetsu's appearance that is a one-time thing. Whether this mm-hmm. is a yearly thing or not, I don't know. I've, I understand. I've heard, I've heard they're only planning on making it one like like this is complete conjecture, but I've, I'm half remembering. If it's going to be, there are arguments on both sides. You know, a yearly memorial show. We are constantly reminded of the greatness that was Hannah Kimura, that is Hannah Kimura. However, that one-time show is... I can see the positives, definitely. We'll wait and see. I'm sure, like I say, more will be announced, especially, um, as I said, on that upcoming appearance on Battleman, where I'm sure more will be announced. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be really, really good to see Kagetsu again. Um, I miss her massively, and I only saw her for two matches so, you know, I've watched more going back, but I only saw her in stardom for two matches, which is a shame, you know, a real shame. Especially as Kigetsu was uh, was in the crowd for the All-Star Dream Cinderella show at Budokan, but didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel like she would be okay to go backstage. That's that's a heart-wrenching story. Sent flowers backstage, which was amazing, but to think that she wouldn't be welcomed or it wouldn't be appropriate for her to go to backstage, is it really does speak volumes about how she left last year, doesn't it, really? Have you seen um, her match with Mako Satomura? I don't think I have, no. It's one of her last matches, and it's very good. Very, very good. Is it? Was it one of your matches of the year? Is it one of your 50,000 matches of the year? Um, it did make my thread last year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course he fucking did um, but it, it's a very good match and it's, it's just very good I just thought I'd bring it up since you haven't seen it and you also have a passing knowledge of Mako Satomura I do, it's very passing but yes, I do, you're absolutely right so, let's get into some stardom results now, I'm going to be brutally honest um, the two shows from Nagoya the Stardom World has been very, very slow in uploading them. Um, you know, a lot of their efforts have been focused on this show of Budokan, so, you know, it's quite understandable. But 
Um, as of yesterday, the 28th show hadn't been uploaded, or at least it hadn't been for me, all of it anyway. So I'm just going to read through the results because, let's face it, you are here to listen to our review of All-Star Cinderella. So we'll read through these results from the shows on the 27th and the 28th, Chris. And then if you at the end, if you've got anything to say about the two main events, then feel free. Um, so starting Nagoya two days, night one from the 27th of February from Nagoya International Conference Hall in front of 267 people. Uh, we had Tam Nakano defeating Goki and Death. Um, a three-way elimination, nine-woman tag match with the Queen's Quest team of Azumi, Momo and Saya defeat, pardon me, defeating Donna Del Mondo's team of Himika, Mika and Natsupoi and Oida Tai's team of Konami, Natsukatora and Saki Kashima. Singles match with Yutami defeating Ruaka. Um, followed by a singles match with Mayu defeating Lady C, B Priestley defeating Starlight Kid, uh, Suri defeating Yunagi in the final match of Yunagi's seven match series, which means that in that series she did go 0-7. And then finally a singles match, which cage matches billing New Generation's five match series first match with Julia defeating Saya Ida at 13 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, Chris, just wanted to ask you about this new generation's five-match series. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Okay, that's all right then. I've got a feeling from the card that I've seen that it's going to be basically Julia de- taking on the rookies. The, the rookie. Okay. I I have a feeling. Um, so my, maybe this is just to demonstrate spoilers. Um, what both the difference between bold Julia and hair Julia? Because here she kind of struggled against either a bit more back and forth as you than you would expect but bold julia just gonna kill them she's gonna bring a, <laughs> she's gonna bring a knife to the ring julia's you ever seen gonna kill you um, you ever seen train, train spotting you know the mad cunt she's gonna be the mad cunt wow julia mad cunt <laughs> mad cunt julia <laughs> no cunt leaves here till we find out who shaved my head <laughs> Um, we move on then to night two, which was the 28th of February, same place, Nagoya International Conference Hall, in front of 326 people, and the card and results are as follows. Ruaka defeated Lady C in four minutes and 19 seconds in only her second win of the year. Uh, Starlight Kid defeated Micah and Saya Ida. Um, in a tag team match, the Uiditai team of B. Priestley and Konami defeated the Donna Del Mondo team of Himika and Natsupoi. In a tag team match, Natsukatora and Saki Kashima defeated Stars, Gokin Death and Mayu Iwatani. Uh, Donna Del Mondo, Julia and Sieri defeated the Cosmic Angel teams of Tam and Yunagi. And then the main event, we had a Queen's Quest Civil War match with Momo Watanabe and Yutami Hayashishita defeating Azumi and Saya Kamatani. Chris, have you got anything you'd like to add in terms of those two shows? Um, I'm glad that these two shows built up um, Budokan more than like the other shows we were watching. Mm. They did a bit more. They, did, they placed things a bit better. Um, Saya versus Julia was very good. I only just missed out on my match of the year, Fred, for me. Ida is getting so much better so much fast. Yeah, so much better, so much fast. Words. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed Unagi. I've overall enjoyed Unagi's uh, seven match series. Although she definitely has taken on a formula, and I get that. But I wish I could have seen more variety in that sense. And um, B versus Starlight was a fun rematch in terms of the other day. There were fun tag matches, but like nothing you've not seen before. 
Like the the second show, especially just for stardom completionists. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Chris, it's time. Let's move on <laughs> to the All Star Dream Cinderella show. Stardom and Joshi, should I say, Joshi's return to Nippon Budokan the first time since August 1997, and 3,318 people were in Budokan for this show, which outdrew New Japan's anniversary show the following night with only 3,026 people appearing. Um, Chris, do uh-huh. you th- what do you think is the impact? What do you think this message is sending out that Stardom were able to outdraw New Japan at Budokan? Well, I think there's, in terms of like reasoning, I think there's two main reasons. One is New Japan's been running Budokan a bit more than usual recently. So you sort of see it with, like, um, I think TJP compared to Stardom, where they outdraw Stardom at Corican, but only because they don't want run Corican as much. So it's mm. more of like a novelty to go see them there. Um, and secondly, because New Japan right now is dog shit. Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say he's dog shit. I don't harbour anywhere near as much hatred to the promotion as you do. Um, I think this is no offence to El Desperado. I am a huge oh, El Desperado fan. And yes, it was a good match. I meant to tell you that I watched it. It's a very, very good match. Um, Despi's fantastic. And I think him being and the Abushi junior actually, champion... And Abushi actually tried to be leg selling for once in his fucking life. The problem is... He's not Hiromu. And I'm not saying that this is the sole reason. I am not saying this is the sole reason or even a huge reason. But if you're going or if you've got a match that is Ibushi versus Hiromu, which, let's face it, is a dream match, and you instead are given Ibushi and Desperado, which is still a great match. It could could have been much, much worse, right? It could have been Phantasma. Exactly. People should be grateful. It could have been Bushi. (laughs) I, I'd, I'd have taken that. No, you, no, just, you wouldn't. For the memes, I would have taken. I wouldn't have fucking watched it. But I'm surprised you watched it anyway. To be fair. Oh, I, I just got because I kept hearing people going on about how the last few shows were good. I mean, I watched the main matches; they were fine. I skipped a card of us as evil, which is probably for the best for both my mental health and Rob's WhatsApp. <laughs> um. So taking the obviously outdrawing New Japan, which was one of the huge news news stories coming out of this what do you think of this as an attendance 3,318 people I mean we spoke about this on previous podcasts about what stardom would look to draw here and we weren't sure what a good number would be I think we both said if it's somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 looking more towards 3,000 then I imagine stardom are going to be happy but to exceed that and get as many people as they did, you know, and there's talk of, you know, there could have been more. For me, that sounds like a really, really fantastic achievement for stardom. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at what Noah drew. They drew 5,000, and that's with Keiji Muto in the main event. So, the show from the 12th. Yeah. Hmm. So, like, that's, I think that's a decent number, like, not ton, like, not, well, I say not a ton, it's like a quarter less than Noah. Like a thousand people less, but at the same time, that's not too bad. That's not bad at all. If they just drawn that to like Sumo Hall or something, I don't think we'd be um, 
all that mad, which we which which is what we said they were gonna be aiming for. Like Budokan was basically be the size of what we do if they were running Sumo Hall. So yeah. I, I think overall that's pretty good. That's a healthy number. Um it's definitely not a failure of a number. I don't think anyone can remotely claim that. Like drawing just under like drawing out of the three main events of um actually how much have you draw for Super Juniors New Japan? I'm gonna have a look at that right now. Um, Super Juniors drew. Super Juniors drew just a shade more, and that was the end of two big tournaments. Well, I say that one big tournament and Tag League. Um, so yeah, that's a really healthy number for Stardom, and it shows potential going out of this. And like on an international basis, I've never seen more people talk about Stardom on Twitter. That was a big thing. That was a big thing I noticed. Now, obviously, this is Stardom's biggest show ever. Um, we had big shows last year. We had the Sendai Cinderella show. We had the they've Yokohama they've Cinderella show. Before. They've run Sumo Hall before, have they? Yeah. <laughs> have they? Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. They haven't run Budokan before. No, Sumo Hall. Oh, sorry. I thought you said Budokan. I'm sorry. God's um, sake. <laughs> but I've never seen people talk as much about stardom as they have in the follow-up of this show. There's so much buzz, and I said this at the top of the show, there's so much buzz about this promotion because of this show. And we were always quietly hopeful that this was going to be a fantastic show. You look at the card and up and down, you knew there was going to be blow-away matches. But even the matches that... We weren't necessarily conscious of, not necessarily worried about, but... Conscious of. Yeah. Not not necessarily that we were worried about, but matches that we thought, mm, really, for Budokan? Okay. You know, they knocked it out of the park. There was not, on the main card, there was not a bad... I'm not classing the rumble, so... <laughs> Can calm down, Chris. You could hear me about. I could hear your inhale of breath. That's what it was. <laughs> calm yourself, boy. On the main card, there was not a bad match. And actually, if we look at the prologue fights, we look at the high-speed well. title match. Fantastic. The Goddess of Star and Tag match did a job. It was good. <laughs> it, it wasn't it, fantastic. It, it wasn't blow away. It was good. It was serviceable. Like it, it was, was good. Chance. If it was chance, they'd be chanting, this is all right. Yeah, this is about what we expect. So, and actually, to be fair, I thought it was better than I thought it was going to be because they've done, so far, they're in the process of doing a good job rehabbing Tora, and I thought she looked good here. Mm. But let's kick straight into this then. So the first two fights were actually broadcast live on YouTube as well as on Samurai TV. Um, we've got Japanese commentary, which was amazing. Uh, we had fu- we had guest appearances from Fuka, who obviously is one of the co-founders of Stardom, and we had Akira Hakuto, which was nice as well. Uh, Milano Collection AT was on commentary, which was fantastic. We say, we say Hokuto differently. What do you? How do you say Hokuto? Yeah, I say Akira Hokuto, and I say Hakuto. Yeah, I don't think it particularly matters, Chris. I'm pretty sure they know we're on about the same fucking person. Someone if if I called her Boris Hakuto, I'm pretty sure people would be confused. But, well, why would you call her Boris? Well, does it fucking matter? <laughs> yeah, don't call her Boris. <laughs> uh, we open then with the first fight, the first prologue fight, the high-speed championship match with Natsupoi 
defeating the champion Azumi in a fifth defense at 7 minutes and 41 seconds with a cross arm suplex. Um, Chris, what did you think about this as an opener? Um, it was a very, it was basically a perfect opener because it's fun, it's fun. It's basically what the X Division was to TNA back in 2005, only the show afterwards delivered. Um, like really fast pace. Azumi came out looking like a fucking Valkyrie. Um, Nats boy came out looking the same, but she had a stick, and I, I like the stick. Um. The match itself was like fast, frantic, and high speed matches, as a general rule, kind of just bang. Mm. Like, it's hard to go wrong with them unless you have someone who can't keep up. But, like, these two are probably the fastest people in. Have you ever, do you ever watch, like, people play Super Smash Bros? Or have you yourself ever played Super Smash Bros? Uh, yeah, once or twice. You ever, have you ever had a, had a match in Super Smash Bros where Sonic versus Sonic? No, I haven't. But I can sort of like... see where this is going. <laughs> it was basically that. Because, like, they were just kind of running around each other trying to hit bombs. Like, it wasn't scientific more than it was just fast. <laughs> and it was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was. It was a really, really fun opener. And it was the ex- it was the exact same thought that they had with opening the Yokohama Cinderella show with Azumi versus Starlight. Um, I still preferred that match. Um, but this was fantastic. Um, Azumi came out in new gear, which made her look like a fucking rock star. The- she is... There's so many big things coming for Azumi, and it's the same feeling I get about Micah. I just, I can, she's going places, Azumi. She's 18 years old, and she feels like an absolute boss. I was never this good at anything at 18 years old. (laughs) Um, These two, though, Azumi and Natsupoy have got outstanding chemistry, and it shows from the start that opening exchange was fantastic. Both women exchanging and reversing signature offense. When was the last time we saw someone take Azumi off of the top rope as she goes for the missile dropkick, where she jumps (laughs) from one rope to the next and hits the missile dropkick? I don't think I've ever seen that reverse, so that was a really, really, really nice point. I really enjoyed that. Um, We then had a period of Azumi basically just dominating. That double stomp from the top rope to the floor, Just it always looks really painful. I can't imagine how painful that must be to take, but it looked cool from an outsider's point of view. Um, Azumi dominated, like I say, when Natsupoi came back, selling the arm, which was good. We've seen before about how, you know, we've talked before about how Natsupoi is a really good seller, um, but Azumi kicks out of fucking everything. We had German suplexes, uh, we had the backlash, we had the rounding body press, we had literally everything, and Azumi kicks out of everything. Everything. Natsupoy designed the German su- the German suplex that put away the likes of Saki Kashima wasn't enough to just hit one. So she hits three no-release ones, channeling her inner Chris Benoit, which was fucking great. Um, but Azumi still kicked out. Um, she's buoyed by this, or poyed by this. Huh? Huh? No? That was worse than the rumble. <laughs> um, but she hits... And I call it a straight jacket suplex. I assume it's the same thing. I don't think it particularly <laughs> matters, to yeah. be perfectly honest. But considering how horrid Natsupoi's booking was throughout the build-up to this show, she looked great here, thoroughly deserved the championship, and I cannot wait to see the inevitable Natsupoi versus Starlight match that must be on the horizon. We got the little bit of respect at the end 
overall, considering this match got seven minutes, they crammed a line to seven minutes, and that's the story of a few of the matches on the card. I thought this was fantastic. And we've actually got a question in regards to this match uh, from Pipau on the Discord, who has said, what's the future for the titleless baby wrestlers, Kid and Azumi? Um, in terms of Starlight Kid, I imagine that... I think that she will probably be the one to take the title off Natsupoi uh, when we inevitably get that match. You know, spoilers, we are we have got three big shows at least lined up for this year. So, you know, we've got to have Starlight versus Natsupoi at least one of those. And I imagine Starlight takes the belt there. Um, in terms of Azumi, literally the sky's the limit. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Azumi later on. Um, but I think there's a chance that she will be the Cinderella tournament winner this year. I think I think they want to elevate Azumi, and with good reason. She is tremendous, Chris. They're, yeah, I feel like both Kid and Azumi are at the stage where they're going to start elevating them because they're both they both be even the well they're both eighteen, nineteen, so they both either have graduated or graduated high school at this point. So we're at the point where we're not yeah. going to lose them for exams or whatever. So I think there could be some good things <laughs> coming for them because they've been they've trialed both of them in the last month in um, big matches. We both trialed them against the SWA and White Belt Champs, both of which delivered. Mm. They both shown we can put on that big, good um, start and main event. So I see no reason why you just wouldn't push them above the high-speed title where they've been. And Do then you... If, sorry, I thought you finished. Go on, carry on. And then if you can't find anything for them, we know they're good with high-speed, so just throw them back in high-speed. That was going to be my question, actually. Do you think now, now that Azumi's lost the belt... Do you see Azumi going back for the belt, or do you think that's the last we'll see of Azumi in the in the high speed division? It depends where we can slot slot them at this point, because at the end of the day, main event is pretty much at capacity. That is so, true. But I can see them like flip flopping between until they decide to create a sustained uh, a sustained push for one of them, because I think both will work good in basically any division you throw them in. Hmm. Hopefully we get Natsupoi booked a little bit better than uh, in the lead up to this show because we spoke and we spoke last time on our preview show about how poorly Natsupoi's booking had been. So it's nice to see her get the victory here. Nice to see her have a quite dominant closing stretch as well. So um, fingers crossed she can put on some tremendous matches in the interim. Like I said, I think in terms of the future, Starlight Kid is an absolute must on one of these big shows, Natsupoi versus Starlight Kid is going to be an absolutely tremendous match. I think Natsupoi, we could have matches against the likes of um, Saki Kashima. I think Natsupoi versus Saki, we've seen it a few times in tag matches, and they these two have got fantastic chemistry. So I think those two will be a great match. I think Natsupoi is going to be fine. I think Kid is going to be fine. I think Azumi has got huge, huge things in um, in line for her. She's 18. Starlight Kid's 20. So they've both, they're both ridiculously young. It's quite scary how good they are for how young they are. 
prologue match two then we saw the goddesses of stardom belts being defended with the champions the donna del mondo team of Mika and himika defeat the oida tai team of natsuka tora and saki kashima at seven t- at seven minutes sorry and 15 seconds with a michinoku driver so snug that i was genuinely concerned for saki's health um <laughs> We didn't give our ratings for the Natsupoi um, Azumi match, so just before I ask you thoughts on that, what did you give it, Chris? Um, three and three quarter. Yeah, I gave it four stars. I thought it was a great little opener. Again, tremendous chemistry. In terms of this match, Chris, in terms of the Goddesses of Stardom Championships match, what did you think of this match? It was good. Um, it's a bit weird because both Tora and Saki like observably have better chemistry as a tag team than Himiko and Mike did. Hmm. So it was a bit disappointing not to see them win, to be honest, because they just kind of outshone the champions. They were really good together. Um, it was weird, like, Tori came out in, like, this new gear, and then Saki came out looking like she just watched The Matrix for the, for the first time. <laughs> like, every, I think everyone knew that kid in school who would try to wear, like, a big leather coat to try and look cool. And then, like, we laughed at that kid because they're not cool. Were you that kid? Oh, why do I? Am I can you really imagine me in anything but a fucking hoodie? I think a hoodie and a full-length leather jacket. I think you'd look well cool, Chris. You think I'd look cool, would you? Like, with long hair and a beard, I'd look like the fucking dude from Yu-Gi-Oh! Who ran the local Yu-Gi-Oh! club who can't go near children anymore. Who I ran into at an ICW show and I had to pretend not to have heard the allegations. It was a time. Bringing you back to this match, Chris. <laughs> How so, yeah, the fuck I think did Saki, we get there? I think Saki Kishima would be very good at Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, no, this match was good. This match was fine. This match was serviceable. Um, I have no real complaints. I have no real criticisms either. It was kind of just there for me. Um, especially at its length, but in its length, we crammed enough in of a new gear look cool, I guess. But otherwise, it was just fine. And I kind of wish the Oedetai won the belts here just so we'd have something. But otherwise, yeah, it was fine. Pardon me. It certainly would have been something to fight for in this Stars and Oedetai war, but we can talk about that later on because I think we've got something coming. Um, in terms of Donna Del Mondo, I thought both women looked tremendous in their new gear. Micah especially, that golden black gear was incredible. Um, a lot of heat on Micah in this match. I mean, if you look back on this match, Himika spends very little time in that ring. It is almost all Micah. Um, I thought Tora and Saki looked great. I, I had real Kagetsu vibes from Tora, and I don't know why. The gear wasn't particularly... Kagetsu-ish, I just really did, I don't know why um, Tremendous chemistry Like I say, the match was finished off with A fucking snug Michinoku driver From Micah um, Poor, poor Saki, but yeah, overall It did what it set out to do It was a solid match um, With very little build, to be fair You're not going to get a massively great match And I think they did what they could with it You know, 7 minutes and 15 seconds They did enough, I gave it 3 stars Chris um, yeah, I can give it to him three quarters. It was good. It was. Um, in the interim of the prologue and the main card, we had some videos of congratulations from Io Shirai, which was fantastic. Really long, really... She clearly cares a lot 
about this company, which is amazing. We had one from Hiroshi. Went out, she went out a way to find a nice backdrop. Um, it was all mixed very well. It was very clearly done on a nice camera. Yeah, Take it notes. was. Take notes, Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, Kyrie had done it in a travel lodge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Tanahashi, uh, which I thought was... That, that was a Quite really, deep. really classy touch. Even on Stardom, I can't escape stupid, sexy Tanahashi. <laughs> Nothing at all. <laughs> Nothing at all. Stupid, ever, sexy Tana. Have you seen that um, picture of him in like just an apron? Oh my god, he oh, is. Calm down. Especially for his age, Jesus Christ. Calm down. What a man. What a man. <laughs> and of course, lastly, Kyrie saying. So you know, Ringside News would have reported that Sa- Kyrie saying. And Tanahashi, Tanahashi appeared Tanahashi at the show, makes yeah. His debut. Exactly, Tanahashi. makes his start of debut. <laughs> but no, I thought they were really nice touches, really classy touches. Um, and yeah, with that, we move into the main card. We opened with the All Star Rumble with Yunagi Sayaka winning the 25 person All Star Rumble by last eliminating Yuzuki Akawa at 35 minutes and one. Second. Now, Chris, I'm going to ask you just to calm yourself for a second. Okay? Because I know that you have thoughts on this, and I know that you are angry. I can feel your fucking anger. So just calm yourself. Okay? I know. I know. Overall, this wasn't great. (laughs) And do you know what? There were bits that were really good. And basically, the bits that were really good centred around uh, Nageo. She came in, she was given loads of respect. I thought the bits with Kyoko and Noe was great. The power... Sakura. Yeah, there were great bits. I thought... I genuinely quite enjoyed the Wacky Zawa bits. Um, Despite the fact that I'm not entirely sure what was in the ambulance. In fact... My note was, let me see if I can find my note on, um, here we go. Wakizawa, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. There's one where I'm like, this is not a sentence I thought I'd ever fucking say. Um, where is it? I'll find it in a minute. I'm sure it's not going to be, um, that important to be perfectly honest. Ruaka came to the ring looking like literally Natsukatora's mini-me. I don't think she could have looked any more Torah-ish than she did then. Um, we got Mina Shirakawa re-debuting after her injury. I thought she actually looked really, really good here. Um, here we go. I've got it right. This is a sentence. This is what actually happened during this show. And just think about whether this is a sentence or not that you would actually say out loud. Um... Wakizawa then hits a freaking Frankensteiner on Emi Sakura on what looks like a small brown biscuits that Matsumoto has emptied out of the bus Mayu was carrying. What the fuck is that? What what happened in this match? It Unfortunately for all the bits of pageantry towards the legends, which was, you know, a really, really nice touch, um, and the small chances that people had to express their characters, it went on a fucking long time. 35 minutes is a long time for this thing to go. And 
you were exhausted at the end of it, really. I mean, you look at Aikawa. I thought Aikawa looked pretty good. She's the proto-Cosmic Angel. I mean, she could almost be the manager of Cosmic Angels. She was Cosmic Angels before Cosmic Angels was cool. Um, and then... <laughs> Don't lie, Cosmic Angels is never cool. <laughs> and then I'm just going to mention this entrant because then I'm going to wind Chris up and let him go like one of those small toys. Uh, entrant 25, the last entrant, was Kikotaro. And go, Chris. Okay, so I'm going to first say, because otherwise some loudmouth little shits are going to talk about how, oh, I just hate Rumbles, which I do. But there were some there were fun moments in this. I like when Amy Sakura came out with literally all of her roster. Like, literally all of them. Like, you get a payday. And you get a payday. All of like, Gato app- Move came out, which is amazing. Yeah. And apparently she didn't ask for permission, but surely when she's standing at like Gorilla and like <laughs> all of them are there, someone has to question what she's doing. Are you I all also- in the rumble? <laughs> like apa- like I'm sure they just didn't care enough about the rumble and just were like, Yeah, we're probably in the rumble. Um I liked when her and Lady was exchange between her and Lady C where she was just copying her. I found that quite funny. Um, I I liked the Cosmic Angels being back together. That was kind of sweet. But kick it out, like in a rumble that's meant to be a celebration of women's <laughs> wrestling throughout the decades. One of the one of the most one of the longest and most highlighted spots in the whole thing was some doll sexually assaulting people. Literally. That's literally what it was. That's a strange choice. That's a very strange choice for a celebration of women's wrestling. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if someone tuned in thinking, I've heard a lot of buzz around the stardom thing, and then tuned out as soon as that happened, because it would... Like, if Garth watched this, it would just absolutely back up all his unfounded thoughts on what Joshi is. And I hate it. I hate it so much. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Well, not disgusting, but like it's just awful and bad. And like there's nothing. They can't have possibly looked at this and thought there was any remotely like because it wasn't even funny. It was like when fucking Santina Morella came out in the fucking Rumble. Nobody enjoyed that. Nobody actually enjoyed that. It's not funny. Like. And I saw I saw people on Twitter going, "Oh, you people clearly don't know who he is." And I and I know who he is. And like he he can be fu- funny. This wasn't funny. This wasn't a good place for his fucking humor. It was bad. It made for one really bad match on the show. Everything else was at least good. I say at least good. Everything after this was great. Everything after this is on my match of the year thread on Twitter. But oh my god, it's it's almost not worth it having to sit through this that fucking segment. The rest of the Rumble was fine. It was a fan-pleasing romp through Joshi history. If it wasn't for the the fucking if it wasn't for that fucking spot, I would not even be saying much about this Rumble. I'd just be saying the things I enjoyed and then reiterating that Rumbles aren't for me. I I listed the the entrance and I just wanted to draw your attention to the note before I carry on. So, entrant 25, Kikitaro. I pop for this. I used to hate Kikitaro, and I can't remember why. And then there's two more paragraphs, and then my next paragraph starts with, then comes the fucking batshit insane part of the rumble, which made me instantly remember the reason I hate Kikitaro. <laughs> which, it's, why? It's I, 
I like comedy wrestling. I really do. I've been pushing over a match between two books for the past week. But this isn't funny. And like, I'm trying to think of what... Because there was good comedy in this match. Again, basically every Emi Sakura... And everything Emi Sakura did had me fucking creasing myself. Oh, she was the MVP of this match. 100%. Oh, Emi Sakura. She's so, yes. She's so good. She was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. This, again, it's just the Lady C spot where she's just copying Lady C's mannerisms and Lady C's just looking at her like, what the fuck are you doing? What I'm is going my, on here? I'm, I'm trying to get over here. Um, but then Kikitaru. And like, it wasn't even a small part of a rumble. It was a good couple minutes of a rumble. He was doing his shit. Yeah. It was an uncomfortably long amount of time. Yeah. And just, I don't understand the thought going in behind it. Like, at all. And I'm sure someone's going to tell me I'm taking it out of proportion. And maybe I am. But imagine, again, imagine if you're a first-time stardom viewer. And half of you is like, oh, I really, um, I've had a lot of buzz about this. But the other half of you is like, I've seen the gifts of weird Joshi things on Twitter. But, oh, from like Jim Connor or whoever set, and saying I should never go watch it. Mm. This isn't like... Literally, that's the only thing that drag that and the length are the only thing that drag this match into bad for me. I'm not going to rate it. I don't make rumbles, but it's bad, and I wouldn't recommend this even like in the background because it just makes it actively bad. Like the last ten yeah. minutes of this rumble just could have been cut, and I wouldn't be complaining. If you cut the Kikataru spot, if you cut all of that out, it's it's an all right rumble. It like you yeah, said. It's... I think you said it was a fun romp through Josie history. That's the perfect way of describing it. Um, well, that's perfect way of describing the first twenty something minutes of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I thought it was nice that especially people like Nagayo and um, in no way get the respect that they deserved. I thought Momo Nakanishi was low key really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the final four were. Dean um, Priestley has a loud mouth, mouth gaijin, so but gaijin, gaijin, gaijin. I'm getting words mixed up. Um, B Priestley has a loud mouth gaijin. Did a job really well. Yeah. Um, Una Manas managed to not make me dislike her, which is rare for a Una Manas match, and I, I know I'm in the minority there. Um, and Unagi got a nice little win, which was good after the seven match series, and. Again, Mina got some hot spots. People like Yuki Bito, of course, get will get a pop. It's just for it's just that fucking one spot. <laughs> it's that one spot, but it was a long spot. It it was drawn out because even before that, he was chasing women round the ring, and it was like this. I don't know if this is okay. Like it it was. I will grant you. I laughed a little bit when Starlight Kid wanted to kick him, but also not touch him. Which that okay? That's a, it's, that's a, it's it's not uh, worth the rest of it. It certainly <laughs> isn't. It certainly isn't. And please don't think I'm vindicating it. It was a crock of horse shit. But even so, it's a shame that that is what the rumble is going to be remembered for, and it is. Ultimately, even though Yunagi wins, which again, it's weird that uh, we had a question last week over whether Yunagi should have won the Rumble uh, that they did a couple of weeks ago, and she wins this one. But I think it won't be remembered, unfortunately, for Yunagi winning it, even though it should do. It'll be remembered for that painfully awkward Kikataro spot, which sort of sends complete mixed messages as to what they're trying to do with this. 
I don't understand the history between him and Nageo, if there is any history between him and Nageo. I just, I don't understand the booking sense of even having him in there. And we've already talked more about this spot than we should do. We shouldn't be giving it the time of day because it was dog shit. But I want, even so, I want my three pounds back. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely worth that. Um. Anyway, let's let's move on from this. Um. Yunagi wins it. I'm pr- I'm happy for Yunagi considering she has spent the better part of three weeks having the living shit beaten out of her. It it's a nice thing for her to do. And again, you know, you think about how Cosmic Angels come across during this show. They've had a strong showing at Budokan. So yeah, excellent, excellent for Yunagi. Do you think she was the right winner, Chris, or would you have liked to seen someone else with the with the winner at the end? Be the winner at the end. I don't think anyone else would have gained anything from winning this, to be honest. No, no, true. I did think that Aikawa was going to win, I'll be honest. Like, I don't know why. Like, I think debating over who should have won this is like when people debate over the wrong winner happening at the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. It's like you're, you're dedicating time to thinking who should win the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Just who cares? Yeah, fair play, fair play. Let's move on then to match two, the first singles match on the main card, which saw Nene Takahashi defeat Momo Watanabe at 10 minutes and 21 <laughs> seconds. Um, I just looked at my notes and I just realized how tired I was because I, I, I'm not used to getting up at 7 a.m. And um, in my notes, I've just put Momo money, Momo problems versus watch me whip, watch me Nene. <laughs> Which amused me. I can do about the judgment, Robert, quite frankly. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> I enjoyed this match, Chris. I thought this was really, really entertaining. Really entertaining. <laughs> I enjoyed this and I enjoyed the exchange actually more than I enjoyed their exchange in their seedling tag match. Which is how it should be. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's incredible how often um, prelude matches can completely outshine um, the match themselves if we just waste everything in preludes. They mm. didn't do that here, because to be fair, they only had one prelude, and they, were, and they weren't in the ring all that much for most of us. But yeah, this is basically an unstoppable first versus immovable objects yeah. match. Because you have like Momo, who like I keep making the Ishii comparison, but in terms of like both, in terms of like it's going to sound weird, but in terms of build, in the sense of she's short, but also like not tiny. Like she's short, but she has mass on it. Like she, I don't want to say bulky because that makes it sound like because she's like actually like works out. So like she has a she has girth to her. So, but I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this hole I've dug myself. I was just going but... to say, Jesus, do you want to shovel, mate? <laughs> Fucking hell. No, but like, you know you know what I mean? In terms of like, she's like a brick wall. Hmm. Like, in, and in terms of like, she throws a forearm and you feel it. And so, and also in terms of like, she has the same sort of stoic personality as Ishii. Not like exactly the same, but she still has, has the same stoicness as Ishii. Like, the thing we don't talk about with Momo a lot is her emotion because she doesn't display it a lot. Yeah, she's sort of stone faced, and up against Nene, that's a good thing, um, because Nene is basically Momo but taller. Agreed, agreed. So it was just sort of, it, it was like bashing two action figures together for ten minutes, and it was great. 
and yeah. I loved it. And it's one of those ones where, like, I can't really explain what happened in it. It just kind of fucked. Like, I was just kind of in a violent zen zone for the 10 minute runtime. It's sort of like the same way I felt about, say, um, Zeus versus Miyahara or Walter versus <laughs> Dragonoff, where I was just sort of really happy in a very primal way for the 10 minutes it was going. Great stuff. Also, I like the running theme with this feud where we just sort of kick out B drivers at one. It is like, a good theme. I did notice that. I did note that down. Yeah, so, but like, but <laughs> to be fair, I'm surprised Momo managed to fucking pull one off on Nene, considering the height difference. It's impressive. It is impressive. It's, it's honestly impressive at Momo, because you look at, like, say, Sayurida going for power slams, and you're scared for that fucking person's life <laughs> when they go up. But when Momo does a B-driver, which is objectively more dangerous, it, it, you're just completely fine with it, because he's so good at doing them. Um, apart from that one time on Sire. That one time. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, this, ma- this match was great and probably delivered as much as it was ever going to in the time it was given. So I'm completely f- I completely, I really liked this match. Ogawa previously stated in an interview that this was going to be brutal and he wasn't wrong. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned that it w- it wasn't tidy, was it? It wasn't a technical issue. It's basically it's a fight between two women trying to literally knock the other out, mm-hmm. and that was the th- that was the sort of theme that was running through this match. I thought that the video packages they put before the matches were brilliant. They were simple, um, yet they drilled home a little bit of the history, which I thought was important. So you know, the last time these two faced off in you know, aside from that tag match at Seedling, Momo was effectively a child. And you've got then Momo trying to prove herself, whereas Nene is always going to have that disrespect of someone who is effectively, in her eyes, still that child. And it sort of it upped Momo's brutality because Nene started by just literally not selling any offense whatsoever. Um, and from that point... Momo just upped everything. There was an added edge to everything she did. Those double knees and the diving somato just there was added aggression there. There was one moment where Nene misses a frog splash and hits the canvas and sort of bounces back up into a kneeling position. And Momo hits this these her two knees, the meteora effectively, and just the sound it made on the back of Nene's head was fucking awful, absolutely horrendous. Um, but yeah, it was just a brutal, hard-hitting match. They exchanged B-drivers. I thought uh, Momo getting the Tequila Sunrise on Nene was quite impressive, to be perfectly honest. Again, considering the height difference, but unfortunately, Takahashi is too strong, too experienced, and has seen too much for her to lose, and gets Watanabe up for, I believe it's called the EX or the X for the win. I could be wrong. I'm sure someone who is more well-versed in seedling will um, correct me, but Overall, it was a simple match. I did weirdly think the right person won. Well, it depends how they go forward. Well, actually, Chris, I'm glad you've mentioned that because <laughs> at Lone Saber on Twitter, fucking seamless, mate, me, seamless. Um, at Lone Saber on Twitter, at Lone underscore Saber, I should say. This game right. Um, considering the results of Budokan, which direction do you think Momo is going to take? She's on a losing streak on big events, and I can't think she can afford another one. Um, We've mentioned this as a running theme repeatedly 
Um, she is at some point going to need that big singles win or that big cathartic moment. Um, where do you think that moment is coming? Because Momo on the big stage, just in recent memory now, has lost to Utami, has lost to Suri, and has now lost to Nene. So, and just a year ago, she lost to Mayu as well. So, uh, yeah. And she didn't have the best of performances in the five-star. Well, actually, I say that. She was she was finalist of the block, wasn't she? I still ignore that one. Um, but yeah, this was finding... But again, I think in terms of Momo, they're not seeing her as someone... They're seeing her as someone they can just insert into the main event whenever they need a filler defense, a really good filler defense at this point. Mm. Again, I think we're seeing him more as an Ishii as an Okada. If you catch my drift. So, honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure when that big win's going to come. Like, I think she'll both, both continuously give her good tournament performances and get and throw her a title match every so often. I think that's where Momo's going to be for the next wee while. Because just in terms of, like, we we talked about this a while ago when the story came when the story came out about them wanting to emphasize um, personality and look. With Momo looks not the problem, it's the fact that people like Julia, Shiri, um, even like Saya, Mayu. Michael. Uh, yeah, like all these people who are much more expressive, much more, much bigger personalities have come, in, come along, and that's why Momo's sort of fallen down the card. Because it's nothing to do with their in-ring ability, because their in-ring ability is like observably incredible. Mm, definitely. But like finding... That spot. So I don't know. I might be wrong, but like I'm just in terms of seeing how they're going to book her. Because like since after the Utami thing, the losing streak has sort of not been part of their stories. The thing is, for me, you've got to have beating Momo has got to mean something. And mm. you've said about inserting her as a filler defense, and that's fine. If that's Momo's place on the card, I'm sure that's going to annoy people, but that's a how lot, things a lot are. Of people seem to think she's going to seed, which I think is more just wish, is more just like wishing. Than I do think else. she is going to get a victory over Nene at some point. I think I think that is probably going to be the cathartic moment for the minute. I think in terms of stardom, though, if she is going to be that filler defence, they need to build her up so that that filler defence means something. Because if she's just going to be losing and then is inserted into a red belt programme or a white belt programme, it's not going to mean anything when she doesn't win it because people are going to expect it. So she does need those big wins. The problem is, you know, you look at who stardom are elevating at the moment... And you've already mentioned it, Chris, when we were talking about how Azumi is going to be treated in the next couple of months. That main event scene is crammed with yeah, people. Stardom is incredibly top-heavy. Massively so. And the, the problem is, Stardom it, seems mid- to be trying to push everyone at the same time. Yeah. So, like, that's what I'm saying. I think Momo's going to be taking a bit of a back seat. Like she's, I think her position right now, because she still has that legacy from that white belt run, so I think her position right now is someone who puts people over. Hmm. Which, like, I get, in, in one way is a shame, but in the other way, she's mega fucking young. Like, it's, it's easy to figure out with how, like, polished she is in ring, how young she is. She's 20 years old, Rob. She's younger than me and was running joke about me being the young one. So... I, I think she'll be fine, even if she, even if she, even if she spends the whole of twenty twenty one jobbing. I think she'll be fine. 
we'll see. We'll see what's on the horizon. It's it's an interesting thought. Um, I mean, we we've talked about winners of the Cinderella. Neither of us have mentioned Momo. Um, mm-hmm. We've mentioned our early picks for the winner of the five star. Neither of us have picked Momo, so it might be a quiet year for Momo this year. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I do think that eventually, at some point, she is going to get a win over Nene. Otherwise, you know, she looks like a bit of a dweeb. Um, but this match, Weird. in terms of this match in a bubble, I really enjoyed it. I gave it four stars. Go. I thought it was great. Yeah, really, really good. Really fun. You can go into this match with absolutely no context and just enjoy it. Let's move on then to match three on the main card, which was the SWA Championship, Undisputed World Women's Title. Let's give it its full name. Um, (laughs) Match with Suri the Champion defeating Konami at 8 minutes and 19 seconds with the White Tiger breaking out that fourth and final submission move. Um, Not just to placate Valkage on the Discord, but also because, Jesus Christ... Holy fuck, Suri looked amazing. Um, that, that gear was incredible. Half Phoenix, half Dragon. She looked incredible. The word Phoenix in a wrestling context has been absolutely ruined by Enzo Amore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's that fucking ruined, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Jesus. Um, in terms of this match, though, I think well, we're not there's not a massive gap between us, but I just looking at what, what I'm half remembering you rating it when we were talking about it um, a couple of days ago, and looking at what I've said about about it on the match of the year thread, I think I like this a bit more than you. Okay. But to be fair, I'm a sucker for good grappling exchanges. I mean, I love things like Josh Barnett's Bloodsport and um, old, UD, old, old UWF and UWFI stuff and WXW um, Ambition stuff. Fight me. Um, I'm saying fight me to Rob because he doesn't like it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the, the match itself, like it, it felt much more developed than the eight-minute runtime would make you think it would be. Hmm. Like, um, this match goes from um, a short grappling exchange to um, big bombs being thrown and shooting for submissions without ever having that massive jump, that almost jarring jump. It, it's just a natural escalation of a fight. And ev- what everything they do, nothing feels like it's being set up. It all feels like it naturally flows into each other, which is something Shiri is very good at. And as- Konami's also very good at once she gets the chance to show it. Um, but, was, but, but despite it, to, like if you didn't know the story, you might see this as like a sterile, um, a, a bit of a sterile grappling exchange, but like knowing that Konami's trying to prove herself. Playing and this is just how these two wrestle. It just for what it was trying to do, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Well, not perfect because it didn't give it five stars, but you know what I mean. Like for the story it's playing, it's very good, and the graph. Like I don't get how. Like this is what technical wrestling is because this is actual like good chain wrestling. This isn't like what Okada sometimes does, where he just reaches for a limb, pretends to work it for half an hour. 
Mm. Like we were actually just reaching for any opportunity to get out of it, and it was lovely. Some of the, um, some of the exchanges, like some of the transitions, were just absolutely glorious. It was great stuff. And then that first bomb is thrown, and we go into that sequence. You're completely into it because just ah ah, and the fact that that first bomb had to be thrown is almost a concession. Which again, I <laughs> I love. I just love. This is just my kind of thing. I just love good grappling, and this was exceptional grappling. I like so, that you've said about that with the bomb being thrown, because mm-hmm. that's something that I mentioned in my notes about how Konami didn't just want to beat Suri. It wasn't a case of Konami just wanting to beat her. It was a case of Konami wanting to prove herself to her, and she wasn't going to do that by just, you know, a strike exchange it was going mm-hmm. to be done through the submission and the grappling in that way and you know they managed you you mentioned it chris you said it. they managed to cram so much into eight minutes and 19 seconds and knowing the history and the ins and outs of the relationship between suri and konami made this such compelling viewing it re- I mean, the emotion crammed in, and fair play, especially from Konami, who has often been cited as a very, as a very cold character, not to the extent of a Sonata, but still quite cool. And often no, she, the emotion. Konami actually, Konami actually shows emotion. I, see, I don't think she does. Not always. More than Sonata. If Sonata cried, he'd rust. I did just say not to the extent of Sonata. <laughs> Literally, my last phrase was, "She's not quite as bad as Sonata," um, but no, and I, I see what you mean. Um, but just the little things, like from throwing back to the bare feet, to shooing off Tora as she went to its fury with a kendo stick, mm-hmm. to the so anguish. Did, did you see the glare she gave B when B tried to cheat for her when she was holding the ropes back? Yeah, yes, I did. It was amazing, and the anguished cries of frustration and then desperation as Suri repeatedly gets to the ropes. And it's just the idea of Konami being that urgent to prove to Suri that she had eclipsed her, that she effectively sprinted eagerly into this final <laughs> submission, or at least to me at least. And no, that's the thing, because she lost because like it seems like she lost because she was too busy trying to prove how good she is, but she didn't see the obvious trap. She's trying to win in a very specific mm-hmm. way, and yeah. therefore Suri is still far more experienced than Konami. I I adore stuff like that. Like if you it's stuff like um, it's not on the level of stuff like this, but like McGuinness versus Danielson or Dunn versus Bait, where mm. um they'll start being very technical, and then eventually they have to stop. Um, one of them has to concede that they're not going to win that battle. This would have escalated better if Konami wasn't so fucking proud. And I kind of really like that. It's kind of a subversion of the formula you normally see going into stuff like this. And I believe that's just what that's what's gonna like. And it gives this feud place somewhere to go. Yeah, agreed. Like, because Konami now knows, right? I might need to do a bit more than just trying to play Shuri at their own game. I feel this could be a wonderful trilogy if they space it out well. We are one hundred percent seeing another installment of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope 100%. so. One hundred percent. I really hope it's not one of those cases where the wrestlers just threw in the threw in the story. Like you know how that's some like especially in New Japan, where wrestlers will throw in like all this like all these layers, and then you, it, they end up going know of it because the, it's for what the wrestlers wanted to tell, and not what New Japan wanted to sell. Mm. I hope this isn't one of those situations because I will be fucking heartbroken if it is. 
I imagine we will get something along the lines of... I mean, we've had the three shows announced, which we're going to talk about after the main match. Mm -hmm. But the three shows announced, but that's only to the summer. I imagine we're going to get a winter show as well. And Mm -hmm. if we do something like... We've had this match here, which I'm not finished talking about, because... You're wrong, Chris. I really enjoyed this match. I don't um, think you enjoyed it. But I think I enjoy- I think I rated it a bit highly higher than you did. What did you give it? Four and a quarter. No, I gave it four and a quarter as well. Oh, we're so in sync, babe. I'm a babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I imagine we'll have had this match here, and then we could have Konami beating Suri in the five star if they're in the same block, or and the then Cinderella, or the Cinderella. I'd prefer it in the five star just because no, of the I time th- limit. I think Cinderella could be. A good well, Cinderella at the time. Like I think because this, but... this match went eight minutes and ruled our fucking world, right? So... That is true. That is true. Yeah. We're not, we're not also, really rule... used to it though in the Cinderella, though, are we? The, the rule set of the Cinderella, so I think, could help Konami get like an over the top win, like outsmart Shiri, and then Konami has a win over Shiri, but in her head, that's not enough, enough, and that's a good way to go forward. Okay. Either way a win in the tournaments that are coming and then beats her maybe for the SWA belt when it comes to those winter shows. Maybe. That will be a good program. That'll be a really good storyline to do. Because, you know, this isn't a case of Suri won, therefore Konami hates it. The respect that they showed each other. Konami's literally in tears at the end of this match, not just because of the fact that she lost in the way that she lost, but also because, you know, she's in there with her ultimately someone she still looks up to, that person she still has that undying respect for, hence the fact that there was no Oida Tai interference in this match. And we've talked a lot about Konami, but Suri was tremendous here. I've very rarely, if ever, seen a match where Suri had to fight from underneath. But she almost seemed taken aback by how much Konami has grown in mm. the intervening years, especially initially. I mean, hell, she had to break out the White Tiger, a move she had been saving that completes that Four Gods concept Suri's been talking about. And just that in itself puts Konami over because that's the way she had to resort to beat her. She had to bring out this move that she has been saving to put away her disciple. And that's a really, really cool story beat as well. And my only qualm about this match was the time it was given. I would I would have adored more time in this match. I, I kind of disagree with this specific match. I think we'll get more time as other matches coming, but I think for this specific match, for the story that this match was trying to tell, this was the perfect length. Okay, fair enough. For me personally, just another minute and a half. Just make it to that 10 minutes. That was all it needed. I'm not talking a 15-minute limit. I'm talking just a minute and a half. But... You know, originally when I first saw it, I was like, bloody hell, that finish came from nowhere. And then the more I thought about it and the more I thought about it in the context of the storyline they're telling, actually, that's perfect. Because effectively, Konami got herself into that situation and then couldn't get herself back out of it again. So it worked in terms of this initial installment of what I imagine is going to be a series of matches. Um, Mm. Overall, I thought this was great. It's another installment in the Suri can have a good match with fucking anyone. And it's the most emotional match I've ever seen Konami have. And I think it benefited so much from that. Let's move on then. So we both gave that four and a quarter because we're so in sync. Because we're so good, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) In in sync. Tell Um, me why. Oh, that's not in sync. That's Backstreet Boys. Oh, what's in sync? 
um, that Bye 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 song. Oh, it's no like baby, bye, 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 bye. Oh, no, 90s boy bands are like the worst breed of boy bands, but everyone loves them anyway. It's ridiculous. Anyway, continue. 100% didn't mean sing it. <laughs> um, match four then. Um, Mayu Iwatani defeating Yoshiko at 15 minutes and nine seconds with the moonsault. I spoke of brutality before in the Momo match, but this match took that and said, hold my fucking beer. Holy shit, yeah, this match fucked. It really did. And honestly, basically, I'm going to I'm gonna put over here, and both me and Chris, I know that Chris has, has um, retweeted this on Twitter. Um, go and check out Val Talks Puro. He did a great article on the whole arc of Yoshiko's... Um, what was the word he used? Um, Yoshiko's... Um, oh, what's it the called? Redemption. Redemption, that's the word I was looking for. Couldn't remember the word redemption. But... <laughs> It's a really good insight into where she was from that, you know, the infamous moment in 2015 all the way through to where she is now, you know, stepping into the ring with Mayu. I thought it's a really, really good primer for where she is coming into this match. And, um, but the simple through line of old friends is still Mm. simple an effective one with one going to another land and dominating while the underling stayed and basically became the best. And it was 15 minutes of fucking brutality. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, a couple of things. One, in terms of stories, this match is an onion. It's got layers. It's got late. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I had yeah, a mouthful it's, of Coke. <laughs> it's, it's meant to go in your nose, Robert. Anyway. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> Robert's on a come down. Robert's on a... Um, yeah, so on one hand, on like the surface level, which is basically... We can appreciate... Me and Will can appreciate, like, appreciate the other stuff, but we weren't around for um, Yashiko's sort of redemption arc be it intentional or not um so we sort of appreciate it as an ace versus outside invader story mm. like like a roha versus may from last year or like basically but looking japanese wrestling history chance are one of the biggest angles <laughs> that year in any given year is an ace versus outsider storyline it always fucking happens um, and that only really works when you're behind your ace. Mm. So, like, us two as some people who basically, because of this podcast, watch everything Stardom does, we're really behind Mayu as our ace. But if someone wasn't, I don't think we'd appreciate that side of it as much as we do. Because, like, I'm, I think, I, I know I wasn't, I'm sure Rob was, because he's a bit of a fanboy, was just <laughs> rooting for Mayu the whole time. Do you know what? I thought, <laughs> again, you're absolutely right. It is all to do with how much you watch the promotion. And I'm not going to mention this for every match, but Meltzer has actually given ratings for everything on this show. Now, he gave this match three and three quarter stars, which it's still a good rating. As a complete outsider, I can see why. Yeah. However, because he's not as invested in this match as the people that watch Stardom religiously, he's not going to get the same vibes that we got. Because... I mean, also, this match, despite the really weak build-up, and by weak build-up, I mean the complete lack of Fucking non-existence. <laughs> like, there is about as much build-up to this 
as there is to like each week of Stardom Cast. We mention it once and then we put it up. <laughs> like this is the Stardom Cast of built, and um, but it still felt massive. It still felt like a because it, it. I say it felt like a dream match. It essentially is a dream match. Like I know these two have probably had matches. Have they had matches before? I should check before opening my mouth. They have had matches before. No, they've had a tag match before. Okay, well, like, because it had sort of that same feel with, like, Mockley versus Suzuki from last year, or um, Kabashi versus Joe, although, again, not quite on the same level as that, although quite fucking close in terms of quality. Um, like, in term- like, just in terms of the how exciting you are of this match, just as a concept. It's like, it's basically this match is what you tend to just do in Fire Pro. Yeah. It's like, oh, throw Masawa versus the Great Cali. Why not? Um, and then it went the perfect line. I think this match going tw- and like even going 20 would have been a bit much. Agreed. Um, and then um, it was somehow enhanced by the fact of Seedling um, contingent forgot to catch May. <laughs> oh my God. Never has the term suicide in a suicide dive in, been so appropriate. In, in May's next book, I bet it's going to come out that that was completely planned. <laughs> that girl Just, has no... Oh. She has absolutely no regard for her own neck, does she? You can tell she was rocked as well after that. Mm. Like, that was... She landed so fucking hard. Like, I... I Into the barricade. Exactly. I don't often emote while I'm watching wrestling. I'm not a big... <laughs> you know, I'm not a big, oh my God, or anything like that. But I am. <laughs> There were three moments just in this match that I did that. This was one of them because I was like, well, that's it. She's dead. Uh, we've got no more May. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> and then... Rock flash. No, one of the... one. Oh, my God. The fucking sent on... The working <laughs> that Yoshiko gave Mayu's back bordered on the fucking uncomfortable at times. Just mm. pure bull-like strength, power, and aggression. She's fucking merciless. I mean, even right at the very, very start, Mayu goes for that sort of arm drag, and Yoshiko just plants and looks at her. And you know that sort of, oh, she fucked up. Like, you just, (laughs) oh my god. And effectively, what we then had was five minutes of that scene from Avengers where the Hulk grabs Loki and just slams him (laughs) repeatedly into the fucking floor. Just Yashika walking away, puny ace. Exactly! And it made you feel so unfucking comfortable, but not only was Yashiko's power really, really impressive and you bought her as this absolute, basically dynamo, it's Mayu's, Mayu's dead weight ragdoll selling mm-hmm. which just added to a looking like an absolute fu- there was two cells for Yashika they were fucking thumping short arm lariats and that was another moment that I popped for because Mayu I thought how has her neck still got bones because she hit this lariat and May it felt like Mayu did a 720 she just like an accordion just folded and you just believed that Yoshiko was just this unstoppable force. And it was like, we talked about Mayu selling in her match with Suri and how she fought from underneath. This was something completely different. Like, Mayu didn't mm-hmm. have a prep. The, the sentons, the diving sentons 
that Yoshiko was doing from the top rope, landing squarely on the small of Mayu's back, the back that she has, you know, was injured less than a month ago. Mm. And you just, and you can hear the uh, wind escape from me. Um, like, oh my God. Oh my and God. The, and on the senton, some people throw sentons, especially like, like there's two sort of schools of senton. There's like Samoa Joe, where you'd kind of miss them and just sort of land on the mat, but like no one's really paying attention. So it's fine. Or Akira Tozawa, where you basically turn your body into a cannonball. Um, Yoshiko sort of falls in the middle of that, because she doesn't, like, curl up into a ball, but she also doesn't purposefully miss her opponents. She actually lands on them. I think it's more of a case of, I'm going to launch myself into the air. You move if you don't want me to hit you. Yeah, you know what it's like? You know that, you know that scene in The Simpsons? Where like um, Lisa's indiscriminately kicking and Bart swinging his arms is like, well, if you get hit, it's your <laughs> fault. It's effectively a Stan Hansen lariat. Yeah, is what it's it is. Sort of like, it's like, well, you decide. Like, are you really going to tell me I'm not going to hit you? <laughs> um, but that being said, Yoshiko still bumped for May. Like May. Oh God, Yoshiko, yeah. Like you can tell these two apparently they're close outside of the ring, just based on like a tweet I'm half remembering. Uh, the tweet that Mayu put out was that mm. without Yoshiko, she wouldn't be the wrestler she is today. Mm. So like the sort of closeness came across into and how much how giving Yoshiko was because like we know a lot of giants who aren't particularly giving yeah. within wrestling. If you go to any like local wrestling fed, the biggest, most out of shape fucker is probably the one who's going to be the least giving. It's kind of like, and Yoshiko has like, especially in terms of like the stardom roster, we saw brought this up last week, how much like even taller the, um, like someone like Himika doesn't, wouldn't stand out as much, I think in ceiling as she does in stardom. No, no agreed. But, and so like Yoshiko in the context of that, because she's not that, she's not especially tall. She's five foot three. But she looked, but she what the way she carries herself is so much bigger than five foot three. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you'd have told me she was, despite the fact, like it's she's visibly slightly slightly shorter than me. If you'd have told me she was five foot eight, I'd believe you just because I wouldn't have the nerve to disagree. <laughs> Yushika will find you. Yeah, um, but yeah. This match was incredible because again, there's like. Three different layers of story, all and no matter what thread of that story you choose to buy into, they all work. Because mm. um, it's a dream match. It's an in, it's an invading, um, the invading forces a story, and it's a redemption arc. No matter what one you buy into, it's going to work for you, and that's so rare. Like you look at. I I hate to bang on New Japan, but like the most present example of this, how much how much how much narrative things they tried to throw into the evil and nitro stuff, and none of them landed. Mm. Whereas here, they tried to throw in just as much narrative, and it all landed, along with what is even with no context, an incredible match. Just without without the story, the way that this match is laid out, you are actively cheering on Mayu. Her hope mm-hmm. spots have been built so organically throughout the way they've structured this match that you can't help but cheer. There's a moment where, you know, when she's locked in this Boston Crab and she's literally screaming in agony because they've worked the back so well. There's a moment when she's in the abdominal stretch and she literally has to use her head to get to the ropes. She just sells it so perfectly. Yoshiko sells being a badass 
so perfect. She kicked out of the two-step dragon suplex. Who the mm-hmm. fuck kicks out of that? I mean, I I was like, fuck. And that's it. And it fills you with dread because you're like, well, what else does Mayu possibly have left to throw at this absolute beast? What else is there left to put her away? And she turns to a moonsault and nod to Io Shirai to finally put down the monster, her friend, you know, and bring a completion to that redemption arc from Yoshiko. And yeah, it's true. People are probably never going to forget what Yoshiko did. There are going to be, yeah, absolutely. It was a horrendous thing. And, but there are people who are going to be able to forget it. And, you know, this match was a fantastic moment that we should just accept as a great match without, you know, everything that happened in 2015, we kind of just accept this match as a fucking outstanding match. Like you said, there are threads, there are storylines, but even without that, it is a standalone tremendous match. Mm-hmm. Also, 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 there's going to be a rematch by the looks of it. There is going to be a rematch. Now, after the match, there is some sort of promo. I have tried to find a translation. Usually, the Stardom website is quite good for the translations, but... I just I can't make heads or tails of the translation of the Mayu and um, Yoshiko we're, one. We're going to have to wait for it to be released on World before we can actually get a proper sense of what was said. Exactly, we I get been, the impression. In it's hindsight, be we should have asked for this. We should have asked Twitter and the Discord before before we start the card. Maybe I imagine uh, Dragon Moon on Twitter probably has one, but I haven't had a chance to check it yet. So I will have a look. Um, but. The emotion in both women, you know, you had the start of the match where Mayu offers the hand and Yushika just sticks a finger up at her, which is brilliant. Um, and then post-match where, you know, they embrace and Mayu literally mounts Yushika and hugs her. <laughs> you know, the, the the emotion that is through every vein of that match is tremendous. Um, four and three-quarter stars, Chris. Same. Um, the only, I don't think it quite tops um, Julia versus Starlight for me, but it's one of my matches of the year. For me, it does, and only because of the story. That That's the only reason. Both are phenomenal matches. Phenomenal matches, but just for me personally, the storylines going into this, and basically as, everything that you said, as that a just material. hit home. I think just as a Rey Mysterio kid, I just enjoy watching small people in masks get abused. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was announced then four more big shows for stardom in the calendar. So we have got the 4th of April show, which we spoke about actually on the last podcast, uh, the Yokohama Dream Cinderella 2021 in spring show. That is a Sunday um, we've then got on the 29th of May a Tokyo Dream Cinderella 2021 show. And on the 4th of July, we have got the Yokohama Dream Cinderella 2021 in summer show. They are, so There's... Stardom are going to be running the Yokohama Budokan twice, one in April and one mm-hmm. in July. Where's the Tokyo um, Dream taking place? I don't know. Um, <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest, I don't know. Um... I imagine it's not the Tokyo Dome. So be um, Tokyo Dome City Hall. Is that a big venue? Fairly big. How much did TJPW? Yokohama about? Dream is about three thousand capacity. I mean, I think I don't think it's quite as big as that. <laughs> so never mind. Yeah, exactly. So I imagine 
oh, I don't know where that is. It, I'm sure someone will put in the Discord or the Twitter, the Twitter or on Twitter about where it is. But I know that the Yokohama Dreams are obviously at the Yokohama Budokan, which they ran in 2020. So again, Chris, enormous things coming from Stardom this year. The the growth of this company is ridiculous as we go through. And again, same as this show, I believe that the Yokohama Dream Cinderella 2021 show in spring, which is on the 4th of April, that is potentially going to be available on Samurai TV again, as well as well as on pay-per-view. So I've looked up um, the Tokyo Dome City Hall, and that's where Dash took place this year. And it was about a thousand people, which is about what we expect from Yokohama and That's, stuff, isn't it? That could quite possibly be where it is. Then that that would make sense for me. So uh, we'll have to go. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I'll have a look on the website in a little bit, and we'll talk about that. But in terms of being available on Samurai TV and pay per view, um, it's going to be readily available to people because the way that you can watch. Samurai TV through Isakura Pro is it's a really, really good way. It's, it a, it's very easy, yeah. Like, yeah. that was the most painless experience. Of, like, it's actually hard to sign up for Stardom World than it is to get a three-day subscription. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was, it was really, really easy. So, yeah, we highly, highly, highly recommend that way of doing things. Um... Let's move on then, Chris, to match five, the semi-main, which was the World of Stardom Championship match with the champion, Utami Hayashishita, defeating Saya Kamatani at 15.46 with the BT Bomb. Just before we get into the match, Chris, I did just want to ask something. It was something that I meant to ask before the Momo match. Um, all the wrestlers that come in with masks... it mainly Queen's Quest, none of them were wearing masks when they came in. All of them were holding them. Um, what did you think of that? Um, I didn't know. <laughs> did you not? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because um, cause half the time, um, when it comes to Bizardum cast, I'm cramming in the last day or two. So, like, I, I it's rare that I w- end up watching the entrance. I tend to just watch the promos and then skip to the <laughs> Fair enough. Well, all of them came out without masks on, so that was what I wanted to ask you. But never mind. Never mind. Um, what did you think of this match, Chris? Fuck off. This match wasn't meant to be this good. <laughs> what? Don't, don't fucking flip the script like that, Saya Anutami. Fucking Saya turning up doing her best Hayabusa impression. And fucking Utami, who just feels so much bigger in a bigger arena like Budokan, it's ridiculous and just, it was so good and there was a Canadian destroyer and I literally shouted destroyer and my brother must have thought I joined the SS or something Jesus, <laughs> but oh my god, what the fuck, why was this so good I don't understand, why was this good this shouldn't have been, what the, no no, this wasn't meant to be good, I don't believe it happened this didn't happen, there's a fucking mass conspiracy going on, they just played like a, a concept for a 3D fire pro or something and, they, and these two no, because no, I don't. I I cannot justify in my mind that this match happened because it was very good and it wasn't meant to be. A lot of people had reservations about this match when it was announced. I mean, Sire herself has acknowledged the lukewarm reception that the match had been getting, 
And it wasn't a case of us not thinking it would be a good match. You know, I doubt that you're going to be able to put two wrestlers in stardom together and it'd be a bad match. But they surpassed every expectation that even the most avid Sayakamitani fan will have had for this match. There is no way anyone could have predicted just how well this match would go, how strong Sayakamitani would look. And uh, yeah, she absolutely flies out of the traps at Utami, who, by the way, you talk about looking like a champion, carrying yourself like a champion. She came out and just everything felt right. The rose, the red cloak, the majestic gear, the red belt, she just looked and carried herself like a champion. And I don't want to say it's the first time that she's felt like a champion, but here, I don't know what it was, she felt like the top star in the company. She Mm. just had this aura around her, and she felt like a big fucking deal. It's the first time where it's not felt like a first title reign. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Everyone has that first title reign vibes, and Utami's reign is absolutely stinking of that until this match. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think, genuinely, both women deserve credit for this match. But Utami, because you wouldn't, you, Utami is going to be the in-ring general in this match. I mean, again, I put on Twitter that, mind-bogglingly, just over a year ago, these two were fighting for the future of Stardom Championship. In February 2020, these two were fighting for the Stardom future of Stardom Championship. And here they are for the red belt at Budokan Hall. And it was an absolute fucking banger. Nobody, nobody, not even the biggest Sayagamatani fan could have possibly seen that projection. I'm a massive Utami fan. I didn't see this being as good as it was. I'm a huge Utami fan. I love the fact that she's champion. I think she is a very good champion. But here, she felt like the big fucking deal that I'm sure Stardom wanted her to feel like. She felt this, incredible. This match did more to build um, this match than the build did. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Do you know what? Sayakamatani felt like a star. Mm-hmm. She felt like a star. I mean, she flies at Utami, like I said. Full Sayakamitani Arsenal. The springboard Hurricane Rana, a thankfully flawless Topekon hero, as though we ever doubted it. Um, I, oh, after the, the two she's already thrown, I did doubt would be a flaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, a destroyer, again, what the fuck? Like, it's so weird, because like, uh, literally any other time a destroyer comes out of nowhere, me and you groan. <laughs> Because <laughs> everywhere else, they're just so overused, but you never see... There's not been one Destroyer in the whole of fucking Sardom in the time we've been watching. So, just... It it was surprising. Like, someone... Like, a, a, a Destroyer gets pulled out in, like, an AEW match. Of course it did. It's AEW. It's basically PWG, but weekly. But here, like, no. But when's the last time I saw you saw a Destroyer in Stardom? You're 100% correct. I've ne- I've never seen one. And we talked about how how is Saya going to escalate her offense. She's talked about how she's going to introduce new moves 
And, you know, we were a little bit reticent to think, well, you know, how is she going to top this when it comes to this show? You know, she's she's going to introduce something, but how is it going to top, you know, the fucking Phoenix Splash or whatever? And yeah, mm. she breaks this out and it was so smooth I thought and she won flawless. It. I thought, in that moment, I thought she won the belt. I was like, there's no way we're pulling out a destroyer and not putting the belt on her. It was, it was tremendous. She finally does get the Star Crusher off, mm-hmm. which she'd been fighting to do for the match. She gets it off, but because of the accumulation, because in any power exchange, Utami was winning, and she beat and ground Saya down. Saya eventually hits the Star Crusher, but she takes so long, she can't get the pinfall. And she effectively just flops onto Utami, and Utami can kick out. So it's still protecting that finish. She goes for the Phoenix Splash, eats canvas, so Utami goes, right, I'm having this. BT Bomb into a reverse Rana pinfall, Mm-hmm. And the most tremendous two count. So I close. looked at it. I rewound it three times because I was like, "That was three. That had to be three. I was, and it wasn't. It was, you know, perfect. You know, in like Fire Pro when it goes two point nine, it was that. It was like a two point nine 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 nine. It was fucking ridiculous. I I have always said that the closest two-count I've ever seen was the G1 Climax final this year between Sonada and Ibushi. It was a tremendous near fall. It was the only good part about that match. <laughs> this was unreal. And I, like I said, I had to rewind it three times and just go, how? How has that not finished? that ma-? We said in the build-up to this match, Chris, that even though Saya had been built, you know, mathematically she'd been built well. You know, in a wins and losses um, sort of realm, she's been built okay. But none of those victories felt, with the exception of the fluke one against Itami, none of them felt big. None of them felt big. And we said before, there's not a chance she's walking away with this belt. She just she just isn't coming out of All-Star Dream Cinderella with this red belt. And you forgot all of that in this match. All of it. She hits the Sarkrusher and you think, fucking hell, they actually... No. She gets this Rana off and has Utami rolled up. You're like, no, no. And you think it's going to happen because both women put on this genuine fucking masterclass. And you just look at it and go, you know, you summed it up at the start. This match wasn't supposed to be this good. And fair play to both. Sai Kamatani is elevated massively because of this. And do you know what? Well done, Stardom. Because when they first announced the red belt match at the biggest stardom show ever was going to be Utami versus Sire, there was a lot of discontent. There was a lot of people going, really? Really? I mean, we'd talked about it before and how we'd said, this has got to be, the red belt's got to be a big match, maybe a Mayu versus Utami rematch, or maybe they'll do belt versus belt in Julia versus Utami. And then when they surprised us with, actually, we're going with Sayaka Kamatani, who has only been wrestling for just over a year, and it's going to be the Red Bell match. And we all went, really? That's bold? And fucking hell, did they they justify their choice with this match? Because everyone, everyone I have seen has said this match was fantastic and out-surpassed their expectations for it. After the match... (laughs) After the match... Uh, B Priestley 
challenges for the red belt after screaming, get off my fucking mic cable, which was legitimately quite funny. Okay, so I don't dislike Brie Priestley as much as a lot of people do, but I hate her promos. I fucking hate... Like, there's one promo I like of hers, and it was that No People Gate. Otherwise, her promos can fuck off. Because she keeps... Like, I understand why she's doing it, but she keeps dropping random Japanese phrases in an English promo. And it's like... I, I, I don't know if you're too old to have weebs in your when you're at school. But there was this one weeb in our school, and she kept dropping random fucking Japanese phrases, and everyone hated her. Because that's annoying. It's really fucking annoying. Who knows enough Japanese in Scotland to drop random Japanese words into a conversation? It's, let me tell you, it's fucking weird in a Scottish accent. It's really weird. I've never heard someone say fucking senpai like they're going to fucking knock headbutt you. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Go on, try and do it in a Glaswegian accent. I can't do a Glaswegian accent. You're cruel for trying to make me do one. <laughs> People don't think you're from Scotland. Um, I've even put it in my Twitter description, like Scottish, even though though they don't sound like it. I noticed that. I was like, it's a shame that he's had to feel the need to put that. Oh, yeah, because I went and fucking, when I went to, when Forrest Silver invited me onto a stream, he just called me British. I'm like, oh, that's an insult. I'm Scottish. He's like, you don't sound it. It's like, I know. I fucking know. Um,. B validates her challenge by saying that Utami has just beaten the person for the belt that she'd never that had never beaten her. Um, suddenly validating the draw with Sire on the Corrigan and Valentine show, I suppose. Um, not really though, not really. You could there's other ways you could have had this challenge. B's challenge has been met with some apathy. I, I think it's I think it's because people thought it was going to be Nene. No, you I thought it was going to be Nene. I think it's a case of have you been okay? Have you been watching One Division? You're gonna have to be very careful here not to post spoilers. Oh no, I'm not gonna put spoilers. But basically, what I'm saying is, um, because I think actually a, a better example might be All In, where people were go, putting along so many random mad matches like fucking CM Punk versus Kenny Omega, whatever. And then when that didn't happen, people were disappointed with the card. I think that's kind of what this is, where people just built it up so much. It's going to be Nene. It's going to be someone big, and it was B. Like, and, and honestly, again, B's fine. It's not quite as annoying as when Sonada came down at Wrestle Kingdom, hmm. which was just fuck off, Sonada. The um, most anticlimactic challenge. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't mind the B thing because it's going to be at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a full of defense anyway. Because I think a lot of these are just getting Tommy's numbers up. I mean, here the the B match has been basically announced for the um, Yokohama Budokan show, and you oh. can imagine that this is going to be the main event of that yeah, show. Uh, but also, um, B has a victory over Utami in when B was champion, so there's good symmetry going on there. Yeah, especially since um, Utami's faced a lot of the same people B has, like she's faced Momo and stuff. Mm. So, like, there's a nice wee bit of symmetry going on there. Like, I think it all makes sense. Like, it's not an out-of-nowhere challenge. B Priestley has literally nothing else to do. So, I'm fine with it. It's not the most exciting prospect, but not every not every title match can be exciting. I don't think this is going to be a trilogy. It's just going to be one match. So, 
this isn't like when fucking like, I'm really bashing Sonada today. This isn't like when Sonada went for the went for Okada fucking four times in 2019. Hmm. So yeah, no, I get that. I think it is only going to be one defense. Um, it is slightly anticlimactic, I suppose. I did call this, by the way. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I, I'd have been really smug if it was Nene. <laughs> yeah, you would have been. I know you would. You'd have been completely. Oh, yeah, you would. Um. Remember when I clean swept Mania weekend for predictions? You did. It was quite impressive. It, it was, was really impressive. Overall, Freeman. I think it will be fine. I think the match will be good. Again, <laughs> Stardom have shown that you know we should trust them a little bit. You know, I'm sure this will be fine. I don't. There's not a chance B is no, taking the belt they, here. Yeah, they've proven that we should trust them in terms of match quality. It's always at least good. Yeah. Um, with booking, that's a bit more debatable, but you know, this is. I, again, I, I don't. I I can understand where people are like, make like make, not let down, but like, understand how this wouldn't meet people's expectations. But this isn't bad. No. Um. In terms of the match that we've just seen, um, I gave it four and a half. I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Um- Okay, four and a half as well. Fucking great. I hope Sayabusa continues to go from strength to strength. That was my next question, actually. I was going to ask you, where <laughs> does Sayakamatani go from here? We talked about this before. I think we had a question on a podcast a couple of episodes ago. And I think we both sort of felt that for now, doing what they did with um, Ahimika after she challenged for the white belt, putting her in the tag division, something like that is fine no. for now. And then give, you know, being able to be, have this tap on the shoulder, something like that. I mean, she could go for the SWA against Suri. I don't think that's a terrible idea. It's just how, I think I said this when Mrs. Last brought up, it's just how starting but go elevate someone for a tournament and put them back yeah. into the mid-card until they need it again, until they want to put, give them a sustained push. That's just kind of how starting book. So in terms of where Sai goes from here, probably random tags for the next couple of months because that's just how, how stardom do things. And I think as well, on top of that, Chris, they know she can go when asked, mm-hmm. and that's was really important. This match basically served as a trial to see how she'd do in a big match, and it also served as basically, as, as I've been saying for weeks, a statement of we push our younger talent. Exactly, exactly, and that's what they did with Micah at the 10th anniversary show, you know, mm-hmm. just can they perform when given the nod in these high-profile matches? You know, Saya certainly more, because it was in Budokan in front of 3,000 people, but I think both women have done tremendously well and we've got mm. a roster of people now where if you consider as well, Starlight Kid got the nod for the Y-Bell match, knocked Azumi. it out of the park. Azumi got the nod for the SWA match, knocked it out of the park. I don't think there's a single person on the roster who hasn't had a batch for one of, for a, for one of the top three belts all year. Apart from maybe Death. Um, Saki. Def, taking out Death and Saki. Oh, <laughs> she even got a non-title match that fucking no people gave. That was cold. I know. That was fucking cold. Jesus Christ. Bless her. Um, let's move on then to the main event. Um, the Wonder of Stardom Championship with Tam Nakano finally winning her first singles championship, defeating Julia at 18 minutes and 57 seconds with the Twilight Dream. We've talked about drama, we've talked about emotion, and this match was full of both. I thought this match was a tremendous blow-off to the feud that these two have had. Um, It's full circle for Tam. It tied off the storyline. It was the correct result. 
I saw people moaning, even the day of Budokan, about how the white belt shouldn't be main eventing this show. It's main evented before. Well, just think about for a minute. Emotion. Just from an emotion and drama <laughs> standpoint, this was the match to headline. It's a hair versus hair match. Even like, and also even like, say for some reason we managed to find more people for May for the next couple of months. No one on the roster has with like the like now that Kagetsu's gone and now and Shirai's been gone for a few years now. No one on the roster really has that with May where like we could have justified the emotion of a main event. No, it's not like in terms they. It's not a case of they're disrespecting the Red Bull. It's a case of they went with where the story is. And, like, other promotions do it over... Like, honestly, I, I think that's sort of a non-issue. Because these two... Like, the White Belt's a proven main event belt. And this is the tastiest story on the starting card right now, these two. Yeah, 100%. This is, this is literally the end of a year-long story arc. So, like, this, like it's one of those moments... Like, and I, the last time that one of these moments happened would have been, um, for me, Naito and Okada where one person had to win and you were rooting for that person with the whole match. So I, I, I don't see the... I honestly don't see the issue with this at all, headlining. No. Um, for, for the match itself, though, absolute clusterfuck. Like, they threw a lot in this match. Like, there was a table spot five minutes in. And that was apparently a nod to Kira Hokuto because um, Hokuto was shouting "Dangerous Queen" when it when it happened. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of cool, I guess. But like otherwise, it felt a tad a tad unnecessary. Um, otherwise, it was kind of just I want to kind of save a moment in any match, but longer where we were just sort of bombing each other for the whole time, which makes sense. That's literally what this um, feud's been built off of, with the exception of that twenty-eight minute random match. Otherwise, yeah, and Tam pulling out a fucking starting a screwdriver. Oh my god! <laughs> the fuck did that screwdriver come from? I know, like, it, like it, it wasn't even like built up. Like you know how sometimes they like tease a move. It's like no, no, they're not going to do this. I just thought it was going to be a suplex to set up a top rope move or something. But no, it was a fucking screwdriver. I mean, not only that, Chris. She tried to use the glorious driver. Yeah. Which was impressive strength, given how tall is Tam? She's not, she's like observably not big. How tall is she? Five foot two. That's tiny. <laughs> and Julia is like taller than Garth. No, she's only five foot four. But Julia's only five foot four? Wow. What the Despite fuck? the fact that I she's can, born I can understand where you like thought God. this was a clusterfuck, I, I understand that. But this match was still great. This match oh, yeah. no, was it, still rock. The, cluster, the clusterfuck was part of the appeal here. But yeah, I, I, this is a grudge match. This is a grudge match. You wouldn't want a twenty-five minute. Te- you wouldn't want Shiri versus Konami here. No, you. This is exactly what this match had to be, and it was very good, very very good. Um, we, we did speak about uh, how this match can't go over 20 because of the brutality that is inherently going to come with this match and it didn't it touched yeah. i think it was 18 and a half minutes it was it was just it was just approaching 19 mm. it was 18 minutes 57 and that's a good length 
I'd argue it could have been a tad shorter, but you know what? It, I'm about splitting hairs at that point. Um, but like again, the brutality here was great. Um, it helped put over the desperation in the entrances. Tam's face put over how scared she was beautifully. Yeah, it was ridiculous how like how much expression she had in a stoic face. Like, cause uh, during the whole of Julia's entrance, which again Julia's theme really put that put over the entrance. Yeah. Um. Ta- and also, there was like a one. Sh- Julia's entrance was like one shot. Like it was like a long shot. That's fucking ridiculous. Mad, like fucking mad direction in this match. It was great. Um. But like you could just see Tam in the background, close to fucking tears, whereas Julia's just dicking about. Amazing stuff. Um, but yeah, like in terms of this match, I, it's another one where I can't quite articulate moments more than I can just say it fucked. And which is annoying when I'm attempting to be a critic. <laughs> <laughs> like, because um, on one, like, in one hand, if I was to like criticize this match, it was a tad like overindulgent, but also if this is a year long feud. It'd be weird if it wasn't overindulgent. Um, I like it was just very good. Like it, it, I in terms of ratings for me, it's below Mayu and Itami Saya. But quite frankly, I don't know what it could have done to gone higher. It was an incredibly good, incredibly solid clusterfuck match, and um, just yeah, incredible stuff. You get the impression throughout this match that. Julia hasn't prepared for it in the same way Tam's prepared for it. No, no, not at all. It's like the same sort of thing. The early Okada, it's the same dynamic the early Okada Tanahashi matches had. Exactly, exactly. You here, you have got a Julia who currently feels untouchable, mm-hmm. and you you can tell from matches that she's had that she needs to be in control. And when she's not in control. She panics. You look at the Starlight Kid match where Starlight had wrestled control away from her and she turned nasty. And you look here and there was points where Julia was in control. That initial spell where Julia basically just beat Tam Pillar to post, put her through a table with a fucking pile driver, you know, kicked seven shades of shit out of her. You get the impression that she then, she was in control, she was cocky, she was arrogant. But the difference between this and the Starlight match once Tam wrestled control away from Julia, Julia couldn't get it back. Mm-hmm. And that was why Tam won. Tam was able to stay in control and one step ahead of Julia, throw things at Julia that she hadn't seen before. The Steiner screwdriver, the reversal out of the glorious driver into a Destino. What, yeah, what the fuck was that? I, I that was incredible. <laughs> I shouted Destino. I literally shouted Destino. Like Kevin Kelly started infecting me. Um... <laughs> I just Jesus. loved it. I really enjoyed it. And then on top of that, you've got Tam trying to beat Julia with her own move, and you just get the impression that everything behind Tam drove her mm-hmm. to beat Julia in this match. Tam had so much more to gain from the victory than Julia did. And, you know, you've got the whole full circle storyline for Tam going into this. You know, that whole... She started wanting the white belt to basically as a tribute to Arissa, her friend who had to retire. She then lost out to Julia, who beat her again and again and again. You know, she's had to put her hair 
on the line, which she's gone on record saying she goes to the salon and spends 200 quid on it. She does it three times a month or something daft. So her hair does mean... I know. When was the last time you spent 200 quid on your hair, Chris? I've never spent 200 quid on my hair. Like, I I once tried to cut it. I I once had to shave my whole beard off because I can't be trusted to cut it myself. But I find the cheapest possible. Like, if I can get my mum to cut it, that's the ideal because I don't need to pay her a fucking penny. But otherwise, no, I don't spend money on my hair. My hair's just naturally beautiful. And you know what? I didn't hate, you know, post-match, Tam hits Julia with the Twilight Dream, a move we haven't seen Tam break out no. in a long, long time. Basically, it's a modified Tiger suplex, effectively. Yeah, it's, but... like, it's, it's a move that means a lot to her. She used it to put away Kagetsu, which is the last time ta- a Tam match felt this big. Exactly, exactly. But then post-match... The relief, the emotion in Tam's voice, the way she carries herself. I know, Julia Tam... just completely unable to get up. She's surrounded by DDM, who have all got belts. She's the mm. only one without a belt, and she's there on the mat, not getting up, and she is crying. Mm-hmm. The Tam... emotion from both women in this post-match was tremendous. Tam um, looked like a, chi- uh, like a teenager on results day. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it looked for a brief moment. You know, um, in the dark now where the Joker says, I'm like a dog with a car. I wouldn't have any idea what to do with it once I got it. And you get that impression with Tam. I've been chasing the white belt for so long. Oh my God, I actually have it now. Shit, what, what do now? I What do I do now? Um, do, do I eat it? No, not made of chocolate. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, the only problem with the post-match really was we had to <laughs> rush it. Because some yeah. like a, a combination of matches going long meant because I remember being very confused about it at the time until Velkers was like, "Yeah, we had to get the fuck out of there." It's like that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then we shaved the, the rest of the backstage. Um, by the way, have you seen that Photoshop where we put Minoru Suzuki's oh, head on Julia? It's a tremendous Photoshop. Fair play to the person that's done that. That's amazing. That, well that done. Is a, that is a seamless fo- Photoshop and. Honestly, if, if if Julie started taking that direction, bold Julie is going to be great. But um, I'm 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 I have a feeling I'm going to be um slightly disappointed by bold Julie just because of how much I've been building it up for the past month. You have done nothing but fucking talk about it. It is it is amazing. Bold people are overtaking wrestling, Rob. I wouldn't be surprised if Gaff walked into a Brit, well, like walked into Red Pro and won their title. <laughs> um. Yeah, like honestly, it, the the post match was a bit of a weird one to end on, just because of how rushed it wound up being. Yeah, which you can't really blame Tam or Julia for. No, no, that's no one's fault. But um, well, it's not really anyone's fault. Things just naturally go long. Um, mm. maybe whoever planned out the matches should have taken more of that into into account. But yeah, just. Graham, what did you give this match, by the way? Um, I was torn between four and a quarter and four and a half. Well, I I thought it was like textbook four and a quarter. So. I've given it... Do you know what? I'm going to give it four and a half, just because I'm an emotion drama whore. Um, I just... I loved everything about it. I, I really did. I thought it was a really, really good way to end this feud. The fact that Julia finally showed that grudging respect to Tam. Um, Tam 
not being able to shave the head of Julia. I know that pissed Julia off, which was quite funny. Um, but I thought it worked with Tam's character. You know, she's finally got to this point and ultimately she's she's got what she wanted now. She doesn't need to do... She doesn't need to be the one shaving the head of Julia. She knows it's going to happen. She's done what she needed to do. She's ascended to the top of that mountain that she's been fucking climbing for what seems like years, finally getting that first solo singles belt. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't need to do anything more. And then obviously there's a bit where as she's been, as Julia's standing there being shaved by the hairdresser, Tam stops him to say, I can't believe it. She looks cooler than me. (laughs) <laughs> which made the entire of Budokan laugh, which was amazing. <laughs> um, Julia does so. She, she does see the bald look, didn't she? I'm not going to lie. When she had half, I was saying this to, I think it was Niagara Driver on the Discord. Um, I was watching this happen, and obviously Julia only had half a head shave during the actual show and then had the rest done in a backstage um, promo. Um, but she had half a head shaved, and it's basically the look I go for and I go and get it paid. I actually pay money to have it looking like that. And Julia looked cooler than me. So, you know, I think she's going to be absolutely fine. I um, think this could be an interesting redemption story arc for Julia now. But, Effectively, she has been humbled. Of a fallen god. But, do you know what? I'd be more than up for that. And actually, it mm, plays fall. into... She's fall. <laughs> it plays into the card that has been announced actually for Corican as we record tomorrow so uh, um, I'm going to preview that card in a moment Before we get to that, have you seen Reese's tweet that she put out at Tamwon? I've got it open in front of me um, <laughs> Basically yep. Arisa put out a tweet after this had happened, um, which Chris retweeted saying that he was crying, which I think no, is I more I, I spe- than fair I specifically said I wasn't crying it's fine, man. Just accept it. It's fine. It was it's an emotional fever. time. It was, it was fucking hay fever. <laughs> in March, in Scotland, on the coast. It's very pollen heavy. That's what causes hay fever, right? You're pollen heavy. So Arissa posted three pictures of her and Tam together and said, the big reason I have to be proud was that Tam finally got the white belt. It was great for me. She has always supported me. Thank you. And congratulations from the bottom of my heart which is a really nice... Considering the whole thing was a tribute to Arissa and we finally got there, it's it's amazing. It It's a beautiful tie-off. And I think this perfectly vindicated being the main event because there's no way you can do this. You can have the drama of someone being shaved and then follow it with another match. In my personal opinion, with stakes like this, you then can't do this and then expect Utami and Saya to follow it. Or expect Mayu and Yoshiko to follow it. I think this was the perfect, dramatic conclusion to this Budokan show. Personally, that's my own personal opinion. Um, what about you, Chris? Yeah, no, it's one of those things where if something did follow, even like if something fo- something followed this segment, it would be like um, half a mania is where they tried to make the world title main event, even when there was an obvious main event happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those. So. Yeah, can't can't top this really. I don't like again, despite it not being a match of the year, this is definitely like a moment of the year, this one. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And lovely. But, but I love that Meltzer's giving it four and a half. Like I I don't talk about Meltzer a lot just because I get bored of Meltzer talk if you like if you spend more than a week on Twitter. But what I do like about Meltzer, I've noticed this as a pattern where if he 
dips into a promotion and really likes a match but doesn't know anything but doesn't really follow the promotion he always gives it four and a half always <laughs> with the exception of when he dropped into Noah last year <laughs> um overall chris this match was tremendous mm-hmm. if i cannot see any show topping this from the you don't opening... see fast lane topping this <laughs> Yes, yes, I can see Fastlane topping this. Um, Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns. I'm not even joking, but it could be fucking incredible. From, aside from the Rumble, which we're not going to talk about anymore because we've spoken enough about it, From aside from that, every match delivered. I mean, from the high-speed title match to Momo versus Nene to the emotion in Konami and Suri, the flat-out fucking banger that was Mayu versus Yoshiko, the surprise match that was Utami and Saya putting on an absolute clinic and just an incredible match and then the drama of Tam versus Julia you ha- everyone had something in this match in this on this show sorry and also as as a lot more of a big wrestling especially like the marquee favorites of NXT and New Japan um veer towards formula this stands out yeah, because absolutely. Even like in all Japan, you have this problem, but especially like uh, you look at NXT and New Japan, it's almost like you have a checklist for the that every match has a set off. Like if this was, um, if this same setup of a card was a New Japan card, you'd be exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, you'd be absolutely, absolutely exhausted. But like again, but like show like all five the top all top five matches made the match of the year Fred, but all of them are distinctly fucking different. Yeah, like, and that's and that's amazingly increasing clarity on cards nowadays, where so much of the undercard just feels the fucking same. And I think as well, for me, this isn't just show of the year in stardom. This is show of the year, full stop. This oh yeah, all both of us, both of us said this had this had the hype that I wasn't feeling for Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, mm-hmm. the production values on this show were tremendous, which helped it feel like an enormous event. The little touches of it made it feel tremendous. The mm-hmm. f- the camera work was immaculate, um, apart from in the All-Star Rumble where they missed some of the eliminations, but that's fine because how the fuck do you follow that? Um, the commentary was great. It added to the emotion. Um, every wrestler's attire looked tremendous. Just everything about this show felt like it was a Wrestle Kingdom, a WrestleMania, that sort of standard of show. And again, I cannot see anything topping this this year, for me personally. No, me neither. Like, But again, it's because it's the promotion we follow. I'm actually curious if anyone, if this is anyone's first stardom show, what they thought of it. Absolutely. Let us know on Twitter or join our Discord and tell us there. We'd love to hear it from you. Let's look then ahead to what is going on in the world of stardom, aside from the uh, Budokan show. So we're obviously now on the road to the Yokohama Dream Cinderella um, on the 4th of April from Yokohama Budokan, and we start that road on the 7th at at Corican Hall, which we've already spoken about. So the card has been announced 
for that show, Chris, and I'm going to read it through to you now. So we open with singles match Julia versus Gokik and Death because Julia has basically requested to start at the very beginning again, which I personally think... <laughs> which I personally think is a great little storyline beat. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's like Sam. It's like that. Mark Samson lose the hair, go to the bottom. Exactly. Exactly. Am I going to um, get in trouble for calling a biblical character a Mark? Yes, I, I'd steer <laughs> away from it. <laughs> um, we've got singles action. Then Konami versus Lady C. Um, we've then got elimination tag which is the next Artist of Stardom title match challenge. So it's basically a number one contendership match um, between the Queen's Quest team of Saya, Azumi, and Momo, the DDM team of Momo, uh, Momo, sorry, Himika, Natsupoi, and Micah, and the Awida Tai team of Ruwaka, Saki, and um, Natsukatora, which <laughs> they are 100% winning, and you'll see why in a minute. We've then got a three-way battle between Utami, Suri, and B Priestley, which is going to be very tasty. I think that will be a very, very good match. And then the main event is the Artist of Stardom Championship match uh, with the champions, Cosmic Angels, Mina Shirakawa, Tamnakano, and Yunagi, putting the belts on the line against Mayu, Starlight Kid, and Saya Ida. Now, Chris... Mm-hmm. We talked before about how Mayu has got three open feuds. She's been Yoshiko. Mm-hmm. For me, personally, this is how I see this panning out. And tell me if I'm wrong, okay? We've got a question, actually, about where Tam goes from here, uh, which I want to get to in a moment. But for me, stars take the belts here. Mm-hmm. Mayu pins Tam. Tasty. We've then got Stars versus Awida Tai for the artist's belt, which makes sense in their context for the storyline. Um, we've then got Mayu challenging Tam for the white belt. So you think this is basically like maintenance to make sure that it's past both of Mayu's feuds because they forgot to... <laughs> that everyone should only have one feud going. Um, I don't know what Mayu's like right now. Remember when Kevin Owens back in 2015 had five feuds going on at the same yes, time with Joe, Sami Zayn, John <laughs> Cena, Finn Balor, and Kenta? He was not was a well-liked man. Um, not only that, Chris, but, and this is something that was um, talked about on um, Discord and also in at Val Talks Puro, here's Tam Nakano article about how it's really important that Tam gets the victory over Mayu. And I mm. think if you have Tam versus Mayu at that Yokohama Cinderella show, which immediately makes that card look fucking great, um, and have Tam beat Mayu, that definitive win over Mayu that she hasn't had, instantly cements that title reign. Instantly. Mm. Um, so that's where I think we're going with that. I'd be very surprised if we don't end up with Tam versus Mayu on the Yokohama Cinderella in spring mm. card. Um, aside from obviously the artist's belt as the um, as it looks like it's the main event on here I don't know whether it will be but it probably will be um, are there any matches that stand out to you Chris? Um, no it just looks like another solid cast <laughs> the next Corican show is the 26th so in terms of where we go 
um, in terms of stardom. We've got the 7th, which is a Corican. The 13th at Shin Kiba, first ring. Um, Sinjuku face on the 14th. And then we have got another Corican on the 26th after some uh, one at Sendai Pay on the 21st. So we've got two Corricans, um before April. So there we are. Let's talk then about some questions, Chris. Let's go and have a look at some of these. So, um, Velkage, your old friend on <laughs> the Discord, which apparently you're having a feud with. I don't know if he knows. Um, should the red belt match or May vs. Yoshiko match have main evented over the white belt match? I think both of us have said no to that, haven't we? Yeah, no, that's resounding. Go, go with where the story is. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it matters particularly whether it's the red belt, so therefore the red belt's on top. If the storyline leads you there, I think everyone was invested in that white belt match. I don't think the red belt match suffered at all from not being in the main event. If anything, we've glorified the red belt match and both belts feel huge, so I don't think that's an issue whatsoever. Um, <laughs> have you, not Chris, because Chris hates fun rumbles, enjoyed the rumble? Um, this is also from Valkage. Have you been able to follow along or have you got lost? Um, I think we also spoke about the rumble, really. Um, it was a nod to the future and to the past of the Joshi wrestling in stardom, but that um, Kikataro bit really, really soured the rumble for me. And the fact that it went on so long was really, really, really quite annoying. Um, you know why it went on so long? Because of the, inherent, the inherentness of the stipulation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's you your know what gen- oh, Not having a rumble. They suck. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it it wasn't great. Um, Niagara Driver, what's your general take on wrestlers feeling different at these arena shows versus a place like Corican? Uh, I think some people get a big boost in their general aura and star power, Utami in particular. Um, Chris, let you answer that one first. Well, I did actually say in the Saya versus Utami review that Utami feels much bigger in a bigger arena. Yeah, agreed. I don't think I don't think she suits being a Corican champion. I think um, even though Corican is a venue steeped in history and, you know, it's an enormous wrestling venue, um, not in, in terms of size, but in terms of history and everything that's gone on there. Um, when you put someone in a venue like this, the production values and just everything we spoke about at the end of the review, someone like Utami feels huge. Suri felt huge. Julia felt massive and i don't really know what it is maybe it is the production values maybe it is the camera work i don't know it they just felt enormous effectively you look at a corican and they're basically coming through a door and just walking there's no real pomp and circumstance Mm -hmm. there you look at um shinjuku face and they're just coming through a curtain or a door or something like that and you look at the All-Star Cinderella show, even the Sendai Cinderella show, which I shit all over, or the Yokohama Cinderella show, the bigger venues with the better production values and things like that, it just adds to certain wrestlers' auras. And I, I don't know what it is, but I agree with you completely. Utami felt massive in terms of star power. And is there anything else there? No, we've got one more question on Twitter then from... It was the first part of um, At Lone Sabres 
question. So if I just get that back up for you. Here we go. And the question is, um, what do you think on factions numbers with DDM and a weed tie at five members, stars at five, six with Kiona, Cosmic Angels at three, four as soon as Lady C joins up, and Queen's Quest at fours? Don't you think stardom needs some numbers for smaller factions? What do you think about that? Um... But it's a weird one because you don't want them to be bloated. I think how they had it before, where we had random um, outsiders coming in and out of a faction. I think that's a perfect way to do it. There's just no way to do that right now. So I think literally we're just going to see this problem completely dissipate as soon as travels a thing again, and hopefully as soon. <laughs> yeah, because you will have certain members of. Yeah, because you had like Viper was in. Um... Queen's Quest, obviously she won't be coming back, but like, um... Layla like Hirsch. Yeah, a lot of people would just be adopted by stars, because Mayu doesn't know how to say no. Um... You had, um, Sash and Moth, who I'm missing more by the day. Hmm. Um... Just, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I literally think this is just going to be a problem that's going to go away when we have a revolving door of outside talent coming back. Yeah. Um... Agreed, because they've got to go somewhere, these these outside talents. Obviously, Jamie Hayter's going to come back and go to Aweeda Tai, assuming she doesn't sign with NXT UK. Um, so that's another member sad. of Aweeda Tai. I'd be very sad. I miss Jamie. I think Jamie's great. Um, I d- I, I'm don't sure forget as well... I'm sure sad that NXT UK still exists. Well, yeah. Um, you've got Hina, who obviously is still to come back to Queen's Quest. Um, you've got... But then, obviously, like we've said, you've got the Gaijins who are going to come in. You've got people who just do tours with them. So, potentially, you won't see as many. I know that people are, you know, we have seen quite a lot of matchups that feel samey. And especially on the Road 2 shows, we see a lot of variations of a theme. You know, the same things over and over again. But again, let's judge this once travel restrictions are down and we've got more of an idea of what they're going to do in that respect. Mm. I don't like using COVID as an excuse because it gets used too easily to like forgive things that have nothing to do with COVID. Like it's been used to forgive the evil storyline, which has dick all to do with COVID, and it's been used to excuse the champions can the booking of champions carnival, which again would have been affected by COVID, but like it didn't have to be dog shit. Like, but like this is literally just a problem that's thrown a spanner into how stardom works. There's only so many people they can like financially have signed i was just gonna say so are you telling me that's not the case right okay so you do agree with me you're just yeah, saying no, it I'm just, be I'm right. just trying okay. to practice. i don't <laughs> think we should use covid for every issue stardom has had because stardom had a, isn't been free of issues no of course it's it just hasn't. this particular issue has been is because of covid yeah travel issues is inherently because of covid <laughs> there's nothing they can do about that whatsoever um and this was a question from last week that we didn't actually get to because our podcast ran obscenely long um, from at Tyler Williams YT on Twitter. Uh, what do you see the direction of the main event scene in stardom going after this? One of their biggest shows ever. Many companies tend to fall into a pit of being empty after a grand show. What does a post all-star stardom look like to you? Um, I'll throw that to you first, Chris. It is going to be smaller. They're going to go for the smaller scale stuff after this because they basically just completely um all of these long stories that have been running since at least um new year um end year climax have just come to an end so we are going to see smaller with the exception of maybe may going to like probably going in the direction of tying up her half a million feud she has going on (laughs) um 
everyone's gonna everything's gonna calm down for a little bit while stories develop and then we'll see stories coming more and more um but like come more to a head during the summer so i think now until maybe may it's going to be a bit quieter for stardom despite bigger shows coming up they're going to be like smaller scale we're basically going to be what corrigans were in 2019 2018 i think um on top of what you've said though we've got to remember that they've got yeah they've got the cinderella tournament they've got the five star Mm -hmm. but they've also in you know fairly recent times it's the 6th of march as on this podcast and on the fourth in less than a month they've got yokohama cinderella Mm -hmm. which is in the the yokohama budokan which was one of their bigger shows of last year so Mm -hmm. we've got that we've got the tokyo cinderella which is in may we've got another yokohama budokan in july yeah i'm not saying big things aren't coming i'm just saying we're going to be a lot calmer now yeah, of like, course, but, because we built they we were building to the biggest show in Stardom's history. It's not, you're not going to be having f- six to a year to three month builds for the matches coming up. Is what I'm saying. No, and you're not going to have those story driven events, you know, like Mayu versus Yoshiko and things like that. Um, but I think if this had happened last year, and you know. Like, covid obviously off the table this that happened last year and then you are just looking at corricans over and over and over and over and over then you could say well it's going to be a little bit quieter and i do still think it's going to be quieter like you mentioned chris but we've still got three at least big shows to come and these are bigger shows in terms of attendance and therefore in feel especially if they're going to be on pay-per-view on samurai tv where the production values are going to be inherently better that it is going to feel huge the potentially the feuds aren't going to feel as big because they won't have had as long to build but even so and then on top of this the chances are we are going to have if they've done a yokohama in spring and a yokohama in summer the chances are we're going to have a yokohama in fall or a yokohama in winter just to tie it all off and then i i imagine they will run osaka again like they did last year it's going to really annoy you if we don't do that isn't it it's for the completionist in me yeah (laughs) it's gonna fuck me off or if they do a winter and not a fall one, it's really going to wind me up. My uh, my OCD will kick off at that, but never mind. Um, final thing, Chris, and this is just a little bit of fancy booking, a little bit of completionist. Um, Val talks Puro again that um, his Tam Nakano article, please go and check that out, it's fantastic. Um, he talks about Konami being the one to unseat Tam for the white belt and goes into great detail about why that should happen. So please, if you haven't already go and check that out, it's really, really good. Um, Looking at some of the belts going forward. So let's talk red belt, white belt, SWA, just those three for now. What do you see as the next challenges for those? Where do you see them going? Effectively, who is going to challenge for the red belt and who is going to take it off Utami? For you, let's start with the red belt. Uh, Utami, who's going to take it off him? I don't know because it's been seemingly random for the past few. <laughs> it went from Tony Storm to Kagetsu to Mayu to Utami. Like, like to be, be previously somewhere in the middle. Like, it's, there's not really been story build up to people winning it, but they just kind of have. <laughs> Mm, yeah, that is true. That is so true. In terms of in terms of a red belt, I honestly could not fucking tell you. In terms of a white belt, it's going to be something story driven. I wouldn't be surprised if Julia fought back up for the white belt. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the story beat they went with. Um, 
get like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Mayu. Um, I wouldn't like I wouldn't be surprised if Mayu took the loss personally and then started chasing it just to keep her up with Red Belt's team for a while. Mm. Um, in terms of the SWA belt, I think Shiri's going to hold it. Either Shiri's going to hold it, and I think that's the more natural drop for Konami. Personally, is that or um, she'll just hold it until we can have the revolving doors of foreign ends again. I Do think she because th- honestly, who, who who if Konami wins it, who the, who the fuck can she defend it against? B, which isn't going to happen, or maybe Julia, who's above the belt. In terms of Tam, in terms of Tam's white belt reign, do you think we are going to see a longer reign, like a Momo and Arissa, or even a Julia? Or do you think this is going to be a short transitional reign? Somewhere in the middle. I don't think we're going to have the year-long reign that Arisa or Momo had, but I don't think it's going to be... I think it's going to be like a Julia length, like six months. Okay. Like six months, five, um, four, four to six defences. Um and yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. I'd, like no one has their best title, with the exception of Arisa. Actually, no one really has their best title run on their first title run. No, no, that's true. That's true. For me personally, I mean, like you're looking at Julia. She's starting from the bottom up. You know that whole redemption thing. It would make sense for that redemption thing to end, like I've said, with her winning the five star and then challenging Utami and beating Utami. Because, again, we are going to end up with Julia as Red Belt Champion at some point, and I think that makes sense. Um, I think in terms of Red Belt challenges in the meantime, Azumi is the only one, except for Hina, out of Queen's Quest that hasn't had the title opportunity, so it wouldn't surprise me if, after Yokohama Budokan, Azumi is the one to challenge. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't like, surprise me. Run the Queen's Quest gambit. Yeah, absolutely. The I Queen's mean, Quest Gambit. Hey, hey. hey. I love that. I'm just going to put it over the show. It's fucking good. It's really good. Watch, <laughs> Watch it. Um, I think Tam beats Mayu. Um, I I don't think Mayu needs the white belt, to be perfectly honest. Um, give it to someone else. You know, let her challenge for it. Absolutely. I don't think she wins it. Um, I'm more open to the idea of her and Starlight winning the goddesses of stardom championships myself mm-hmm. um i think that's because a lot of people on the roster it feel if they were going for white belt it would feel like for example if starlight was to go for it since cosmic angels and stars are still kind of feuding mm-hmm. um that would make sense but like i think the more in, enriching narrative would be for her to beat julia for it because julia basically humiliated her in the last defense mm. so like in terms of like the path that Val's put out is really good a really compelling path but also if I was booking it I'm not sure it would, I'm, I'd, if I was booking Stardom I'd have Konami wrapped up in the SWA all year and then have her that that yeah, culmination yeah because at that Siri. point because at that point, um, a great that great feud elevates the belt. Mm. It elevates Konami. It elevates Shiri. Like in terms, like in terms, if it was basically any other um, Stardom landscape, I would agree with that. Mm. But like in the current Stardom landscape, I don't quite agree. 
I, but also I don't know who would be. I can't think like it's a. But in terms of like how satisfying it would be when we finally get the belt, nothing's going to top Tam winning it here. So in terms of who could beat her, I don't know. In terms of the SWA, I don't really know who has Suri got left that doesn't feel above the belt. I mean, she hasn't. You can't. I can't see Julia challenging for it. Technically, she already has challenged for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see Mayu challenging for it. So you're looking at maybe a Starlight Kid. Maybe Jungle when she comes back. Maybe Jungle when she comes back. I think Jungle. Jungle has to win a singles title when she comes back. I think our perception of Jungle, like ads and like the fans' perception of Jungle, is much higher than Stardom's perception of Jungle. You know what I mean? It's still the Ishii situation. Yeah, I mean. Uh, an amazing story would be if you if you take what Val has spoken about and say Konami gets that vindication and beats Tam for the white belt, the natural progression there is for Konami to then drop it to Jungle. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, that would be very, very good. And then maybe one of the white belt defenses is against Suri and Konami gets the victory there. So it doesn't have to necessarily be the SWA belt. The belt means as much to us as it does, like, it basically means the same to us as it does to the um, wrestlers of the company, which is why things like the six-man title in New Japan go for periods when no one fucking cares because no one fucking cares. And so, like, the Jungle and Konami story, if Shuri has fought tooth and nail for that FWA belt all year, it's going to be just as enriching for Jungle coming and taking it. The only problem is Jungle can't challenge for the SWA belt if start if Conan. Oh, she it. can't, can she? Oh, you're fucking right. That... That's why. <laughs> that... I, that's why I went with the white belt. That, that, that gimmick <laughs> is so good when you can have people coming in and out. Yeah, it is. It is. It does sort of hamstring you when you've only got Japanese talents on your roster, or yeah, primarily same, Japanese but, talents but at the on same, your roster. But at the same time, when it was a revolving door of outsiders, you kept having lesser talent going for the belt. So it's a fucking catch twenty two, that isn't it? It is. It is. We'll need to wait and see. We'll need to wait and see if some of the rules are dropped from that um, from that belt. We'll have to wait and see. Brookie anyway. Stardom Championship is just going to be um, extended, um, so it's ten years in the business. <laughs> it just anyone can charge for the future. It doesn't matter. Just anyone. Have you um, wrestled? <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's wrap it up then, Chris. There. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really, really do appreciate it. If you do listen to the podcast, please leave us a five-star review and a comment. It really, really does help the podcast out. It helps us with um, exposure to other people. So please go and do that. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are literally everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. You can find us at any place. Check out the website www.podmania.co.uk for all our archived episodes as well as all our match ratings and reviews and everything else that goes on at the site. You can find us on Twitter at at the Stardomcast. Chris, where can they find you? At Chris Loves Pura. And they I, can find I've it. memorized it. Are you proud of it? You me? have. I am really proud of you. Well done, mate. Uh, you can find me it's at Real Rob Goodwin. We'll be back next week as we start the road to Yokohama Cinderella in spring 2021. But until then, we will see you guys again soon.
$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc